0: back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host, Sean Carey Tattoo. And Sean, what's going on, man? We got two cards to cover.
1: What's up? Man? We got two cards. That's a ton of fights. And we're going to do every single one of them. You know why we're going to do every single one of them? Why, Sean? Because we love this shit, Daniel. That's why. Because we love it. We're going to do it. We're going to do like, things like Mitch Gagnon versus Matthew Lopez just because. Because we want to. Because we're crazy.
0: Let's do it. This is true, we got UFC 206 going down in Toronto and we got UFC Albany going down in Albany, New York. Second event in the Big Apple, so, but man, they didn't stack it this time like they did the first, huh, Sean?
1: No, they had nothing left. It's kind of leftovers, huh?
0: Someone's got to get the leftovers, right, Sean?
1: Yeah, it's Albany, and I used to live in Albany, I don't know if you've ever been to Albany, but uh, it's fucking horrible. It's terrible. It has none of the best parts of New York and all of the worst ones.
0: Worse than the Bronx? Oh, well,
1: no. not not. It's not bad in a cool way. It's a bad and I'm <laughs> super bored way. You know what I mean? Like It's not like, ooh, I'm in the Bronx. This is risky and exciting. It's like, ooh, I'm in Albany. Let's go to Ruby Tuesdays. It's fucking terrible.
0: Well, we're going to get risky and exciting on this show because uh, I hear a rumor that You got a three-unit play, and I got a two-unit play on the opposite side. I cannot wait to get into that. But first up, on UFC 206, we got Zach Makovsky. He's minus 160, and the comeback on Dustin Ortiz is plus 140. Now, Sean, if Dustin Ortiz wasn't doing the whole home gym thing, you know I'd take the shot here. Because, I mean, back when he was training at Rufus Sport, I thought this dude... It was a top five flyweight, and, uh, you know, I feel like his fight against Benavidez, that was almost like his title fight, and then after that, he moved back to Nashville, he left Rufus Sport, and he's uh, been declining. With Zach Makovsky, very underwhelming, Sean, and, uh, you know, he's the kind of guy you bet on him, and then he goes out there and he doesn't fight, so who who the hell knows? I'm going to go with Dustin Ortiz, but the reason I'm not playing it is because of the whole home gym thing. I don't think it's the same guy, but uh, I still think he has the skills to win this fight.
1: I think that um, Zach Makovsky is super underrated, and, and it's it's because he's kind of boring because he does nothing special. But he is he puts in super workman like performances, and there's nothing you know spectacular about it. But when it comes down to doing something where you're like, hey, you're in the position to win this fight, you're gonna win it. He usually can do it. There's been plenty of times where he's been outgunned. He is fucking tiny. Um, but a skilled guy, a fast guy, a usually pretty smart guy, a good wrestler. Uh, I think that he has Ortiz outclassed here. I do have the over in this fight and the parlay made me stay up an extra hour or so because I'm sitting there waiting for him to post it because I knew I was going to play it. And, uh, I guess they posted his name as Moraga instead, so they didn't put it back up for another hour, and then I went and played it. And then I looked at it this morning, and the over is like minus 400 or something ridiculous. So I'm I'm glad I got it at 260 or whatever the fuck it was. Congrats to me. Um, I like McCoskey by decision.
0: Yeah, I feel like if it's a safe fight, a technical fight, it's going to go McCoskey's way. But if Ortiz is able to make it into a real fight... You know, a dirty fight where there's blood and they're going back and forth. I got Ortiz in that kind of situation
1: all day. So it just depends how... That's fair. But, you know, but both, guys, both guys only go to decision, basically. So that, that's the safest deal in here. But I think the value is, is probably gone.
0: Yeah, the value, it definitely is gone. So there's no reason to continue. Although I would like to say that I've never seen Zach Makovsky go blood and guts before. You know what I mean? I've never seen him go life and death. I've seen Dustin Ortiz go yeah, life and know. death against Joseph Benavides.
1: Yeah, he's, yeah, like, uh, Makovsky is certainly not that guy, and he never will be.
0: This is true. So if you're betting on him, you better hope he goes out there with that safe uh, point-fighting performance. And it's going to be hard to do against Dustin. I know that Wilson Hayes and Formiga did it back-to-back, but those guys uh, have a little bit more fight in them than Makovsky. Oh, dude, the, the odds for uh, UFC the Albany just dropped.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here hitting refresh right now. But next That's up...
0: Good. In the lightweight division, we got Rustam Tiger-Habilov. He's minus 200. The comeback on Jason Sago is plus 170. And uh, this is going to be a really close fight, dude. You know, I feel like Rustam-Habilov is a tad bit overrated. I mean, if you watch his last two fights, man, especially the Leandro Silva fight, dude, that one was super controversial, at least in my eyes. I mean, he was a minus 350 favorite. He's getting dropped. He's getting full mounted. and. It, it, it was ugly, man. I, I don't know if he's the same guy ever since that Benson Henderson loss. You know, I feel like his last few performances have been kind of lackluster with Jason Sago. He's kind of on the way up, you know, Hoyler Gracie, black belt. What he's known for is, uh, you know, he pounds dudes out in that first round. And usually, if it goes to a split decision, that's when he loses. Except his last one, he finally got the split decision. But knowing that he is prone to losing those close decisions, you kind of got to favor Rustam Love here. But, dude, if you gave me 2-1 to one on Sago, I'd take that shot. But plus 170, i got to sit back and pass.
1: This is a terrible fight for Sago. I'm not sure. Like, What he wants to do is wind up on top and uh, do some damage and and get a dominant position and maybe work for a sub there. Uh, his striking is serviceable. It's not great. His striking is not as good as, as Rusty Cable's. His wrestling isn't as good as Rusty Cable's. And he's not a time traveler. Do you know what I mean? Uh, Daniel, the, the thing, the, the thing that makes rusty cables so good is that he's a time traveler. He takes a five minute round and turns it into a two minute round. You've got two minutes to do something because the other two minutes he's either, com- or the other three minutes, he's either completely out of range or he's pushing you up against the cage. So his fights are boring. His fights always go to decision. Uh, that's how he fights. He shortens the rounds down to nothing. And in the very few exchanges and the very few important things that happened in that round, he's usually the one who did them. If you're not the one who did the one or the two things in that round, you probably lost that round, and that's this guy's whole career. And if you can't out-wrestle him and get on top a la Ben, ben Henderson, you're usually not going to beat him. He even used to whip off some flashy stuff uh, back in the day. That's all gone now. He's simply about making the round two minutes long and completely neutralizing you. And the one or two opportunities where it's like, oh, something happened, it's usually the thing that he did that you remembered. And then the rest of it is him controlling because the other guy's back is on, on the cage. That's a, a win for a round, and he gets two of them, and there you go. So, uh, you know, it is close, and it is in Canada. That's the thing that Sago has going for him. I don't think uh, Sago mounts any other kind of offense besides that.
0: I mean, the, the suplex city days of Rustam Hobby Love are long gone, man. I don't know if it's because certain regulations in the sport have changed, if you know what I mean. But bottom line is, I think this is going to be a very close fight. And like we mentioned, the close split decisions don't often favor Jason Sago, but a time when they would is a fight in Canada, and that's where this fight is. And this guy is improving. I'm not entirely convinced that Rustam Havilov is improving anymore. I feel like he's kind of peaked out. So it's about, has Jason Sago surpassed the level of Rustam Havilov? We're going to find out. And I would need more than 2-1 to to take the shot. So as of now, I'm passing. Next up, we got Lando Venata. He's minus 165. The comeback on John Magdesi is plus 145. Sean, you already know the deal. You fade John McDessie every single fight. It doesn't matter who he's fighting. Yeah. But but here's the thing, man. You know, the last two times when I faded him, he was the favorite and his opponent was the underdog, so it, it was an obvious fade. Here with that, you know, that minus 165, that minus 170 on Lando. I mean, is this kid legit? I know he... I mean, people remember that he did decent against Tony. I mean, he still got finished in under one and a half rounds. But he did do decent there. But you know what? Let's talk about his regional scene fights. I've seen him knock dudes out where they have that delayed reaction when they get knocked out. Like, you remember when Cub Swanson knocked out Dubronx? Well, you know, that was more... Yeah, the that, fake one. That was more yeah. of a, I don't think I knocked him out. I think he quit. But when you uh, see Lando do it on the regional scene, they're legit knockouts. Uh, and, and they have that, delete, that delayed check, please, reaction. Now... I think he's going to be the guy to finally retire, John mcdessey You know what I'm saying? It's about time. And mcdessey obviously, we know the deal. Um, many many broken jaws he's talked about. He's too small for lightweight, too big for featherweight. You know, doesn't train at TriStar anymore. He's doing the whole home gym thing, coming in for a paycheck. Striker versus striker, I believe that Lando's the more dynamic of the two, you know? Both of them will spin. I mean, we saw MacDessie with that highlight reel uh, spinning back fist of Kyle Watson back in the day. But nowadays with Lando, I mean, he's smoother, he's sharper, he's younger, he's fresher. And uh, I just think he's better and at a way better spot in his career. So I got him for the victory. I was considering parlaying him with uh, someone on the other card, but I got to see what the line is. So I'll get back to you on that when we break down that fight, Sean.
1: Okay. I think... I mean, this is a tough fight. We were talking about this earlier. He's basically an untested prospect that had one good performance on a big stage. Can you really think a lot about him going forward based on that? You probably shouldn't, but I'm going to take a leap and say that I saw something in him like that's a huge stage, and he was outsized and outgunned. and I love it when guys are in that position and they come in and they go, oh, I'm I do this thing, and I'm going to do this thing to you, and I don't care what you are. Uh, he didn't change the way he fights at all. He's still all over the place. He's still spinning. It's still crazy shit. And he he didn't land one and take off. He was like, I'm going to stay in your face and do do Lando Venata to you. And he did that, and he put up a hell of a fucking fight, and it's really his cardio that kind of shit out on him. I don't think he would have ended up winning that fight. But he's obviously explosive. He's obviously strong-willed. He has a real wrestling background. He looks to have the goods. Um, Don't be surprised if that cardio shows up and that wasn't a short-notice thing. That's a cardio thing. You never know. You know what I mean? Like, he was swinging for the fences every time. But I I love that confidence and and the swagger and that that means something to me. Um, The other half of this is... McDessey, yeah, you got to fade him at this point. We tried it with, uh, shit. Medhi. Tall Arab guy. We just bet. Yeah, we tried it with Medi Baghdad. We were close. You know what I'm saying? And, and he's, he's obviously one foot out the door. Everything that you mentioned about his training is, is true. Everything you mentioned about his attitude and what he said is, is true. Uh, he's taken a lot of damage over his career. He's never gotten anywhere near the top. This is usually where people stop. Uh, the way that this goes bad is if he, you're the kind of guy who doesn't want to engage with Venata, which he is not, does Venata just swing at air a lot and get frustrated, and that goes bad, and these guys don't hit each other a lot. but Mac Desi, you know, Venata's pretty hittable. Mac Desi does the majority of the clean hitting and the crowd goes nuts for him and loves it, and he pulls off a close decision. That's absolutely possible. But I think that Venata does get in range and hit him with something sneaky and piles up damage on him and maybe even gets him out of there by the end. But uh, don't be surprised. Instead of this being really fun, it gets really boring, and Mac pulls off a a bullshit split in Canada.
0: Just to address the cardio concerns, to me it's not really a matter of the short notice or him having a cardio issue. To me it was when you're fighting Tony Ferguson, I mean that dude's pace and his pressure is just unlike anyone else in the UFC I mean you throw everything at this guy and then he's right in your face not discouraged at all that's not going to be the case when he goes up there against John MacDessie I mean you know the deal you rock MacDessie a little bit and uh, he'll call a timeout in the middle of the fight
1: yeah I totally agree in that moment when you get hit and you know that something is obviously wrong and panic hits you uh you can do with what a lot of fighters do and just bite down and fight back or you can do what a lot of other fighters do and and you know, kind of tap on your own leg while you're standing up, or give up, or something like that. And that's that's way beyond us to say what we would do or what we wouldn't do because that's not what we what we do for a living. But when we're judging these guys against other fighters, um, Mac Dese is a guy. If, if you hit him and hurt him bad, and he gets nervous and weird about it, man, he's going to fold up. You know, that's just the way it is, unfortunately.
0: You want to know something hilarious? Speaking of, you know how how certain people react to getting hit. So people were saying that uh, that that Jake Ellenberger should get a no contest or they should rematch. I'm like, <laughs> first of all, Jorge Masvidal whooped that ass. You know what I mean? That yeah.
1: that was a. Why would you want a rematch of that?
0: Not only should there not be a Why? rematch, it should not be a no contest. I mean, it was pretty obvious who the winner was. So
1: it's kind it's of not a no contest, is it?
0: Not yet, but, but Jake's trying to appeal it,
1: of course. Oh, good luck, dude. No. You know what I'm saying? Like, here, Jake, here's what you do, dude. You hurt your toe? Cool, man. Don't put your hands on it and sit there like you get a timeout. Go ahead and block your face because it's protect yourself at all times. It's not protect yourself till you, till you hurt your toe. That doesn't make any fucking sense. It's not a no contest. It's a clean loss.
0: Honestly, the fence saved no, him from a worse ass whooping.
1: Yeah, that fight was obviously going one way. In the middle of, of Masvidal kicking the shit out of him, he unleashed with a humongous hook. And, and, like, Masvidal just pulled his head out and looked at it and smiled and just went back to whooping his ass. It was really simple. You know what I'm saying? Like like, he said it was easy money that was easy money. Uh, this, it, that fight would have went exactly how we were talking about it going. It was obviously headed there. He realized he could do whatever he wanted, right? You know what I mean? Like, no rematch, no, no, come on, no, no contest. Give me a break, dude. That one
0: combo where Jake almost went down and where the ref could have stopped it with a standing TKO, that one was just absolutely disgusting. The way he mixed it up to the body, the and then he incorporated that tie clinch. I mean, he just absolutely yeah. destroyed Jake Ellenberger.
1: And it was in the first round, too. Yeah, he's slick, man. He is.
0: I mean, Robbie Lawler, it took him to the third round, you know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah. He's a slick guy. He's fun.
0: He's the truth, man. And next up, we'll we'll get to some of these, uh, you know, Valerie Letourneau type fights later, but let's get to... Let's fucking just go for it, bro. I mean, look. Misha Serkinov's minus 130. Nikita Kurlov is plus 110. Sean, I heard a rumor that not only are you betting against Nikita Krilov, you have 3 units against Nikita Krilov. And yeah. one doesn't simply bet 3 units against Nikita Krilov. So uh you better have a damn good reason, Sean. Oh,
1: I've got plenty. I've got multiples. Um you know when I when I we'll get into this in the ga- the gambling podcast when we do that on the week off, but um when I line a fight and the line is way off, that dictates how much I I bet on it. That's just how it goes. I had cirkinoff at, at minus one eighty. I got three units on him at plus one ten. I cannot I can't go soft on plus one ten and I can't pass on plus one ten. You know, Daniel, I, I'm not seeing your side at all here. One of these guys is a huge light heavyweight. The other one is a decent sized middleweight. Um. The larger guy has better cardio. I can't even fucking think of another instance where that, like, what? He's got better card. Yes, he's got better cardio. And when it comes down to it, you know, I don't understand why. Like, is Serkinoff a sitting duck on the feet? He's not. He didn't look scared against Kudalaba. Kudalaba is not the fucking. Is not Anderson Silva, but he's scary and aggressive. And Serkinoff was beating him to the punch getting out of the way, hitting him with straight shots every time around. Like he wasn't out of the pocket. He's sitting in the pocket waiting to counter and did it well multiple times. Cutalada is, you know, like I said, not Anderson Silva, easy to hit, but this isn't a guy who doesn't believe in a striking and just goes, oh, I'm turning tail if you come running at me. Um, let's talk about just, and, and honestly, Nicholson's a pretty good striker too. You know what I mean? Like, Kurloff is a good striker and he's fancy and he's had some good knockouts, but he's, he's knocking out schlubs, man. You do bet Kurloff against Ed Herman. You don't bet Kurloff in this situation because in this situation, maybe uh, he gets OSP. You know what I'm saying? Like he's gonna, he's dealing with a big guy and the ground is probably death for Nikita Kurloff. Like, if he gets taken down, he's going to get pounded until he turns over and gives up a sub. Uh, he's got to get to to Sirkinov early and knock him out. And I don't think that's an easy thing. I think that that Sirkinov is going to want to get under and take him down. And then once he's on top, it's not there yet. You know what I'm saying? The striking is good, but when I bet Krilov against Ed Herman, I'm worried if if they tie up too long. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't want I don't want blown up. Not really a light heavyweight, Ed Herman tangling with Kriloff because I'm I, I was worried about him getting taken down and subbed. Now you've got a guy who who might just boa constrictor your head and break your jaw because he's absolutely done that before, and 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 he's fighting a guy who wouldn't let go of a guillotine and basically choked himself out. By you know OSP is not a submission wizard. It, it, it's just there's nothing. There's nothing going on here. What you've got is, is a puncher's chance. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't even have three rounds to do it in. He, the guy gasses out. And, and you're taking not big plus money on a guy with a puncher's chance. And the, the one with the real chance to finish is Circonov. And if this gets sloppy because people get a little gassy, which could totally happen, we're in Canada, and we know who's going to have the control for most of the fight. So he's got that going for him too. Like this is not—I don't understand going against Serkinov here because at—I at, lined it at 180. I'm thinking it's going to be 220, 200, and I was like, "Oh, that's kind of risky at 200, 220, but maybe." And then plus 110, three units. That's how that goes. Uh, how are you betting on Krilov here? What what is your reasoning? <laughs> Well,
0: firstly, the whole uh, Krylov is a middleweight thing is total, utter bullshit. I mean, this dude knocked out Walt Harris at heavyweight. He's taller and has a longer reach than Misha Surkinov. Now, I know, oh, but James Vick is taller than Chris Weidman. Okay, it's not that kind of example. I mean, you know what I'm saying? He's... He's not, it kinda is though. I don't think it is. I don't think it is at all. I mean, this dude's knocked out heavyweights. And if you're gonna bring up the OSP loss when he was, you know, what, fucking twenty one learning his craft and figuring it out, then we better bring up the loss that Misha Sirkinoff had to my next door neighbor, Tex Johnson, when he tapped him out in under two minutes with a with a leg lock. So and that was around the same time. You so, think
1: Kroloff is gonna tap you think Kurlof is gonna tap Surkinov out?
0: I think he's going to knock him the fuck out. And, you know, what I really like, you know, you're calling it a puncher's chance, which is, you know, kind of disrespectful to Nikita, because, I mean, this dude's striking that Kyokushin background. I mean, he's so unorthodox. With Against
1: his... Ed Herman? Ed Herman fights underwater.
0: Oh, it's not just Ed Herman. Ed I mean, Herman the dude's on the a 5-5 win streak, UFC. all finishes. Against who?
1: Well, who the fuck has the other guy beat? You know what I'm saying? But for... I'm just saying, like, the idea that that. Kirillov, sorry, there's a plane going over. The idea that Kirillov has a 5-fight win streak and that's what gave him an even number here, even though his obvious deficit is the other guy's obvious strength is it's like you said, it's based on this win streak with all knockouts, but well, against who? You got to you got to let me finish.
0: I mean, it's yeah, not go ahead. it's not just a 5-fight win streak versus a 3-fight win streak or whatever it is. That's actually more like a 6-fight for for Sirkinov, but in the UFC it's 3. But uh, it's more so how the styles match up. I mean, on the feet, you were talking about how how uh, Serkinov was doing really well against uh, Kudaleba. I mean, what about the time when he got dropped in that first round? I know eventually he found his range and stuff, but as we saw the other night, Kudaleba is the guy that gasses after the first round. And... Misha Surkinov is too slow, he's too stiff on the feet, he's gotten rocked more than once in the UFC, and with Nikita, the way he sets up his strike, like I was saying earlier, with that Kyokushin style, I mean, not only will this guy, it's not just a 1, 2, and a 3, you know what I'm saying, he'll throw a jab, and then he'll throw a same side head kick, go to a cross, same side body kick, I mean... You don't know where the shit's coming. You start blocking to your left, and then a head kick comes to your right. And also, I mean, on the ground, yeah, I understand the last couple dudes that he tapped out weren't the best, but, I mean, I mean, isn't Bajos a fucking Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt? I mean, you know what I'm saying? He tapped him out.
1: Oh, I mean, come on, man. You know what I mean? Like
0: What? I mean, th- I your, your dude beat Nate Jolly and fucking Alex Nicholson. And that Nicholson,
1: so both these guys have Look, Nicholson, both these guys is have Nicholson is a middleweight.
0: Nicholson is a middleweight. Krilov is not a middleweight.
1: He's kind of a middleweight. No,
0: he's not. He could. He could not make one eighty five. But bottom line, you got three units on a, uh, on on a uh, Misha, and I got two units on Krilov. The only reason that I'm not going to match you, you know, because. This isn't a fucking dick measuring contest. But the only reason is cause Sean? I, yeah, actually it is, Sean. The uh, reason uh, why uh, uh, I'm not gonna match you on three units is cause my other plays on this card are two units and you know, you gotta I'm trying I'm trying to do this whole this this money management thing, man. I'm trying to be on point with that shit. So
1: my other plays Why don't you play why don't you play play Krillov by Because... Do you think he wins if it goes to the decision? See, I
0: don't even wanna have this conversation because it's like well, Bisping versus Hendo is not going to go the distance. I, th- I felt the same way, too. There's no chance that fight goes the distance. Fuck these stupid props. I got this dude at plus 110, so fuck it. I'm going to put two units on Krilov at plus 110. May the best man win, but I have a feeling my guy's going to knock your guy the fuck out.
1: That's, that's totally possible, but I wouldn't... Like, there's not a ton of value in plus 110. You know what I'm saying? Like, you just got that one way to win. I mean, your guy only has one way to win, too. That's not true. He can win the decision, too. He can stay on top for the—he can lay and pray three rounds away. He can stay on top and not get a sub the whole time. He can cage-push a tired guy for three rounds. He could win chunks of the striking. Uh, He could sub and finish him. He could grab his head and crush it. You know what I'm saying? like, Kroloff could definitely— catch Serkin off and knock him out. That's absolutely true. But the deficit between the striking and the deficit be, be, between this fucking gorilla on you is, is it's way further apart. Serkin off on the ground is way further apart than, than the difference between their striking standing. Um, you know, in my opinion, we'll fucking find out Saturday, but the things that he does that are fancy are just leave these humongous openings on the way in. You know what I'm saying? Like, ugh, I don't know. I'm not seeing it, man. We will find out.
0: I mean, here's the thing, man. When, uh, when Misha was fighting Kutalaba, I was already thinking, like, man, I mean, Misha's slow. He's stiff. I've been looking for the opportunity to fade him, but this is probably not the time. And then Kutalaba goes out there and drops him in the first round, but he was too green. He was too young. And we saw it wasn't the time. This is the fucking time, bro. Plus 110. Nikita Krilov, a guy that's experienced, a guy that knows what it's like to lose and come back and go on a big streak. He's developing every single time. He looks better in the UFC. I don't understand why you're saying he has shitty cardio. Are you saying it because when he weighed 220 pounds and Soa Palelei weighed 265 pounds and they fought in his debut on a couple days short notice because he gassed out then? Is that why you're saying he has shitty cardio?
1: There's a, No, there's plenty of other times where he slowed down. He's, his cardio is not great, and that's indicative of anybody who's only swings home runs and and a big guy who brings that kind of volume it's not economical you know what i'm saying like you can't you're not going to hold on to cardio in in a fight like that uh, if it even goes three rounds when you're striking but in a fight where you're constantly battling and being pushed up against the fence and getting and getting grabbed and having to get back up over and over again like I I know what you're saying but the
0: thing is I feel like your guy is the one that only swings home runs I mean yours your guy is the one that swings the overhand rides right and, you know, loads up. He's like, you know what I mean? Throws a big left hook one shot at a time. My guy is the one that throws in combinations. He's fluid with his striking. He's got that Kyokushin background. I mean, he puts his combinations together and he gets better every single fight. I agree. Serkonov gets better too. That, but I think this, I mean, is, the, this true, is the time this isn't, this
1: to beat a striking match. We're trying I'm trying to beat This is sl- gonna be this is gonna be on the ground.
0: I'm trying to beat a slow and stiff guy with a faster motherfucker <laughs> like Krilov, so may the best man win, Sean. Uh, one of us is going to be upset Saturday be, night. That's
1: I won't be upset, but he he cannot be the faster guy on his back. This is where this fight is going to take place. Yeah, we'll, on the ground, we'll, we'll see about
0: that, man. We'll see because I have a feeling that not that Nikita is going to be throwing up, you know, arm bars or triangles or any shit like that. But I have a feeling that his get up game has improved. So.
1: I know, but we've already skipped his takedown defense. <laughs> We're already on the point where it's about his get-up game. Yeah, but the thing is... Because we know that's happening, right? People know put he's going down once, right?
0: Yeah, but the people put way too much stock in, in takedown defense, in my opinion, because I think a get-up game is way more important than takedown defense. Because, look, if you take someone down and they pop right back up, who cares? Versus you take someone down and you hold them down, that's a different story. So I favor a good get up game over good takedown defense all fucking day. Remember Carlos Condit in his prime? Dude had the worst takedown defense of all time, but he, know, he knew how to get back up. So that counts to me a lot more than takedown defense.
1: That's true. He also had infinite cardio. This is Red. true, but I I, I feel 20, like twenty rounds.
0: I feel like the Nikita gassing thing is a myth because he did it when he was fucking you know forty pounds lighter than the dude in his debut when he was like nineteen.
1: Well he did do it when he had a big gorilla on top of him.
0: Yeah, but this is a this is a big gorilla too. But it's also you know a fifty pound lighter gorilla than Soa.
1: And he, and he, he beat guessed, Soa. That I think was not good against Bohoso either. Dude, he
0: fucking beat Soa, but the ref. Uh, you, you know, do you remember that that sequence when Krilov was teeing off on Soa and Soa was looking for the ref to stop the fight and the ref wouldn't stop it. And then Krilov, no, and
1: then he didn't finish and gassed out. And then he
0: gassed himself <laughs> out and got fucking uh you yeah. know laid on. But the thing is, I mean, when you when a dude weighs fifty more pounds than you, shit like that's gonna happen. I feel like when he starts teeing off on on a uh, that's gonna be all she wrote. And if it's not, hey, well, congrats to you. But I, I think I'm gonna be the one with yeah. my arm raised, man. So let's go. Let's go. This is the minor this is
1: one. One pick out of a thousand doesn't matter, but it's a losing one for you. <laughs> <laughs> may, may the best man win.
0: Now, next up, man, this is gonna be fun. We got Jordan Mian versus Emil Valhalla Meek. He's plus 140, one forty. Jordan's minus one sixty, and. It's good to have Jordan back in the UFC, man. I mean, I love watching this kid strike. We all remember what he did, the Evangelista cyborg. I mean, that those fucking elbows were just vicious. Even that last fight against Tiago Alves, man. I mean, like, he was looking great until he got caught with that liver kick. Uh, so, man, wasn't that just a fucking terrible moment? Because,
1: not just because we had money. You know, on I live bet. I, I live bet. Tiago Silva bef- before the Alves? second round. Thiago Alves before the second round. It why, was plus did, 400. Is it because
0: uh, Jordan Meehan started doing like somersaults and shit?
1: I watched that fight again, and I, I was like, why did I do that? And I did that because there was something about Mian's composure where he was like, why aren't you knocked out? And then like Alves was getting hit, but he was composed. He was His hands were up, and every time he got tagged, you could see him wobble and, and be hurt by it. But he was like, okay, I'm still here. Okay. I'm still here. And there was something that me and was giving off. That was like the opposite of that. You know what I'm saying? I, I rarely, excuse me. I rarely ever live bet, but that was a, that was one of them for some reason. I watched that again, uh, you know, two days ago. And that's what it, that's what it was. Weird situation.
0: Genius. <laughs> I should have fucking live bet that too. I rarely do live bet, but, uh, Man, I, I love Jordan Meehan striking. I mean, he'll trap your hand, throw a nice elbow, mixes up to the body, which you know I love. And, uh, the dude comes to fight. But the thing is, if you stand up to him, you can break him. So, it's a matter of, can Emil Meek do that? You know, with Emil Meek, you know, over in Europe, man, I don't know what they're feeding him, man, because that dude, uh, you know, <laughs> it's like it's like old school Tiago Alves. I mean, this dude straight burns a hole in the floor when he pisses. You know what I mean? And, uh... You know He had to sit out because of a little little meldonium call, if you know what I mean. Now he's back. Mm -hmm. Is is he going to look the same? I'm pretty sure he's going to look the same, but is he good enough? Basically, the way Emil Meek fights is he's not the most technical guy, but he does swing big, and when he lands, the dude's got killer instinct, and he can get you out of there. But I've also seen him get knocked out. So Jordan's Mm -hmm. the more technical guy, but I think Emil has that will to win. So it's a matter of can Emil weather that storm? And then get Jordan Meehan out of there. I really don't know. But due to the fact that, you know, even though I am a Jordan Meehan fan, I love the way he strikes. I've been down with Young Gun mean for a long, long time. Total badass. I mean, the kid fought fucking Rory McDonald when he was like 16. You know what I'm saying? That's the kind of badass that Jordan Meehan is. But I fade fighters that talk retirement. He's coming back from retirement. Uh, fuck this shit. I got Emil Meek.
1: Oh, uh, here's some more leap of faith for me here. Here's the thing, okay? If you throw all these uh, context, contextual circumstances out the window, uh, Jordan Meehan is a way better fighter than he is. Way better fighter than Emil Meck is. It, and, you know, the retirement is definitely a fucking problem. But he's been fighting since he was, like, 11. You know I mean? It's ridiculous. Like, maybe he needed a break to not fight, and maybe that's the kind of retirement situation that happened and he's like i can't not fight i'm i'm so young like we got to come back and do this okay i did see him get weak in that Thiago Alves fight we just saw about you know we just talked about um
0: matt brown fight
1: yeah like you know it's there there's some kind of weird yellow streak there but i think when both these guys show up if they were both to show up good jordan Mann is way better uh my problems with uh, Emil Mech are he's here because he knocked out Rusmar Paul Harris who just got knocked out by some other schlub like that wasn't <laughs> dude, in real quick, so, sorry to
0: interrupt Sorry to interrupt. so I was like I tweeted something like so Paul Harris got knocked out by another jobber and like dude like there was like a 20 like page thread people fucking went crazy because I called that dude a jobber so well, watch out Sean You're calling that guy a schlub uh-
1: That's right. You're right though. That night is a shrubby. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I watched that, but, um, and this dude, you know, okay. So you're here because of that. Um, let's, let's think about the context of, of weird Euro prospects and the, in the organizations that they have there. And if it's not cage warriors possibly doesn't even matter at all. Like, okay. That, that whole fucking deal is completely suspect. This fucking guy was getting knocked out in those suspect organizations. That can happen. He either gets you or you get him. Um, The biggest deal to me is uh, I'm pretty sure this guy was roided all to hell. And even though he didn't pop, I think he missed that last fight to kind of adjust the thing. I I really think this is the first time we're going to see this fella not on the juice. Um, That's probably a terrible fucking situation. And you're assuming, you know, there's just yeah, totally just making shit up right now. Um, and then it's his debut on the big show, it's not Jordan Meehan's debut on the big show. I don't think he's going to be wobbled mentally by this one at all. I, I like, I like Jordan Meehan here, and it's and it's a suit, you know, it's risky as fuck. It is, it's risky as fuck. But uh, you know, Venata and Meehan parlayed, pays 213, and for two guys. That I think are gonna win, and probably win pretty damn good or easily. Got to play that. So 1.2 units, Benata me in plus 213 to win two and a half.
0: If you know for a fact that Emil Meeks coming in on that uh, that Valhalla sauce, would you still (sighs) bet on me in?
1: No, I think he's not though. I think, and you know what? If he would have came straight over, I would have been thinking that he was gonna pop the thing in the middle of him coming and then not i think was him you know like adjusting and then not having time you know what i'm saying and the meldonium was probably was it actually meldonium was that the reason why what was the actual reason
0: it was meldonium which makes me want to talk about something else i want to give i want to personally tip my cap to daniel omalanchuk the first fighter in ufc history to get a meldonium exception
1: Yeah, the thing about Maldonium is that these guys don't actually consider it juice. You know what I'm saying? Which it seems like it isn't from what I've read about it. But that's kind of like a, that's kind of like seemingly an honest mistake from these guys coming from that area. But,
0: well, yeah, just like steroids are like vitamins in Brazil,
1: you know? Yeah, there you go. Just like that. I think that this guy is going to show up not on the juice in his debut, and he's going to be really fucking worried about that. And he's very hittable. He's very hittable, and he's fighting a, a, a superior skilled guy, for sure. Dude, if
0: he doesn't have that, so I'll that
1: take
0: <laughs> it. if he doesn't have that Valhalla, I'll tell you right now that Jordan Meehan's going to whoop his
1: ass. No. But uh, he better he, bring that axe into the ring with him, bro. Because uh,
0: he has to weather a serious storm to win this fight. The thing is, we know that Meehan's Storm can be weathered. It's just about is this the guy to there do it, up. and I know that's why I'm not betting yeah. on this fight. I want to find out, and also. It's going to be a really fun one to watch. It's going to be a violent fight. There's no Jordan Mean fights where Jordan you know, tries to hump your leg or any bullshit. Even when he fought fucking Hernani Perpetua. Dude, that was a brawl. That was a very exciting fight. And I wonder what happened to Hernani. Actually, you know, I saw him fight on Fight Pass not too long ago. That dude's a badass. I mean, you saw his fight with Tim Means. He, was, he outstruck Tim Means one of those rounds. Uh, that, that dude was, That dude was legit. Do you remember him?
1: Yeah, I totally remember I mean, him. He wasn't, he wasn't terrible. He wasn't terrible. Uh, the guys who stuck around in comparison to some of the guys that they cut don't make a ton of sense, but oh well. Yeah, like fucking... Kevin Souza is a great example. Valmir Lazaro. He beat Michelle. Braseres. Yeah, Lazaro's a, yeah, a good example. Kevin Souza's a good example. I don't know why the fuck you would want to get rid of those two Even guys. Even Lucas Martinez okay. is a
0: decent example.
1: Lucas Martinez got cut?
0: They didn't re-sign him, just like Kevin Souza.
1: Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's retarded. That's a terrible move. Oh, well.
0: Dude, what what happened to my now boy uh, Lance Benoist? Remember that guy?
1: Wow. Yeah, I haven't heard that name in a while. Where the fuck's that's he That's somebody I could cut. <laughs> that's somebody I could go ahead and get rid of. <laughs> yeah, I remember him. Yeah, go ahead and bounce that guy.
0: Yeah, Bobby Volker's still uh, taking fights outside the UFC. But we haven't heard from Lance. He's at
1: least, Bobby Volker would at least try. You know, what I'm saying like he was, he was, uh, he he would get gritty with you. That that's fun.
0: Yeah, he'd give it the old college try. But next up, you ready yeah. for a best fight pick, Sean?
1: Let's do
0: it. I'm ready for a best fight pick. We got Tim Kennedy's minus one fifty five. The comeback on Kelvin Gastelum is plus one thirty five. Now. I'm feeling good about this one, man. Usually when a lot of people give me shit about a play, that that's one of the times when I cash. Not that either of these fighters know that or give a fuck about that, but it just coincidentally happens to go down that way a lot. And this is one of those situations, yeah. Sean, because you know anyone that's ever listened to Half the Battle knows, from a betting perspective, I'm so high on Kelvin Gastelum. I mean, it's not that he's a great striker. It's not that he's a great wrestler. It's not this or that. He knows how to win. The dude is a motherfucking competitor every single time. And you guys know, because he's fighting, I have to say what I say. Every single time he fights, the same exact breakdown. On his worst day, he misses weight by 11 pounds. He's hospitalized with the flu. And he still goes to a split decision with the UFC world champion, Tyron Woodley. One that a lot of people might have thought he won, you know. For me, I, I did score it for Woodley, but so what, man? To compete at that level, considering the circumstances, that tells me a lot about this kid. Now, I know a lot of people have, you know, the personal issues with him because, oh, he he's fat and he missed UFC 205. Yeah, I agree, it's annoying, but what the fuck does that have to do with him winning this fight? Y- you know what I mean, Sean? And here's how he's going to yeah. win this fight. He's going to win this fight because he's... A fucking aggressive southpaw that goes forward, that knows how to kick your body, that's finally incorporating the one-twos, and uh, has decent wrestling, too. You know, people like to talk about, oh, but Neil Magny threw him around. You know, I I have a good excuse for that. My excuse is the element of surprise caught him in that fight. because That's right.
1: That's absolutely true. Because, look, dude, I mean, when
0: you're training for Neil Magny, you know, you're training for the dude with the longest reach in that division. You're like, all right, I'm going to bring some tall dudes in that are going to one-two me. I need to get used yeah. to that. The last I need to
1: chase th- this guy. The,
0: la- yeah. Yeah, the last thing you're thinking about is I'm going to defend the takedowns. Cause, and, and the reason I say that, the proof I have is watch his fight against Tyron Woodley. Watch his fight against Johnny Hendricks. It's not like he was getting taken down at will or anything like that. He was literally caught by the element of surprise. And you and, guys need to remember. And honestly,
1: watch the, fight. watch the fucking fight against Magny. Watch his goddamn facial expression when he gets picked up. You know what I'm saying? Like, it is the element of surprise because he's got this look on his face like, hey, what does, what what just happened? Why is this guy picking me up? I didn't... He's not supposed to pick me up. I'm supposed to chase him. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was. It was just... And going into that fight, I, believe me, I know the fucking Neil Magny fights. Going into that fight, Neil Magny getting repeated takedowns on Kevin Ga- Kelvin Gastelum was not a thing. That was not in anybody's head. Nobody thought. Nobody was like... What if Magny takes him down a bunch? Nope. Nobody thought that. I wasn't thinking that. That was not in the cards. I was like, this, the Gazelle can run from him and, and land one twos and wear him out. What happened was the Gazelle went in, got cakedowns for three rounds, and then somehow Kelvin Gastelum was the one with the gas tank at the end of the fight. That's completely backwards. Nobody could have been capping that and getting it right. It doesn't happen. Yeah, and I mean,
0: like I said, dude, when he fought two of the best wrestlers in the division, Tyron Woodley and Johnny Hendricks, it's not like they were taking him down, dude, and he's competitive in every single fight he's in. People are going to talk about the size difference. I mean, he won tough at middleweight. He was choking out dudes like Josh Saman back when Josh Saman, you know, was fucking dudes up. He, uh, you know, Uriah Hall back when Uriah Hall was that scary son of a bitch. Nate Marquardt, I mean, look, Nate Marquardt knocked out a couple dudes recently, you know what I'm saying? Kelvin absolutely destroyed yeah. him in a way where... Nate
1: Marquardt is dangerous. Yeah. He's dangerous.
0: Kelvin fucked him up. Now, here's the thing with Tim. People are like, oh, he beat the champ Bisbing, and it's like, yeah, okay, well, not only was that forever ago, but do you not understand that Bisbing was coming off over a year layoff and the guy had a detached retina and other crazy shit go on to the point where people say this guy only has one eye. Of course he looked like shit in that fight. Under any other circumstance, Michael Bisping whoops Tim
1: Kennedy. He's got his eye is pumped up with some kind of artificial fluid or something like that. I think if you had a glass eye and you got punched in it and it broke and went in your brain, they'd probably sue the balls off of you.
0: Is it legit glass?
1: No, it's not glass. It's his eyeball. It's just they had to like inflate they had to like reinflate it with oil of some sort, with some kind of chemical that they make. Dude, the bottom it's line actual is eyeball.
0: this motherfucker has one eye. <laughs> and you know what I'm saying? That was his first he does, yes. That was his first fight Throw. back with one eye, and he's completely rusty. It's not the Bisbing we know. It's not the smooth, you know, crisp on the feet Bisbang, the one that knocked out Luke Rockell. It, it, it was a completely different guy. Props to Tim Kennedy. He went out there and got that victory. That was his last victory. That was almost like his title shot a long time ago. Then he fights Yoel. And, you know, people want to talk about the 10 seconds of success that Tim Kennedy had. What about the fucking 13 minutes of success that Yoel Romero had? You know what I'm saying? Because he made Tim Kennedy look like a fool. The only time Tim had success was when Tim literally grabbed the glove of Yoel so that Yoel couldn't put his hand up. And then, uh, you know, Tim rocked him and cheated there. I know Yoel cheated back by sitting on the stool.
1: Yeah. But, hey, Tim And sh- also, Tim I've sh- had th- that argument in particular with somebody before. You can move your head if somebody's grabbing your glove. Just, just saying.
0: Well, bottom line is he didn't knock him out. He rocked him, but he didn't knock him out. And with all that said, if you have a guy that hurt, so okay, next round starts, okay, I'm just going to finish the deal right here. No big deal. Like, we've seen it many times. I mean, you know, I don't want to talk shit about our boy Albert Morales, but, you know, he was a little bit hurt at the end of the first round, and Tomas Almeida went out there and finished in the second round. So why couldn't Tim Kennedy go out there and do the same thing? Why couldn't he be like, look, I got this guy. It's because he mentally checked out in the middle of the fight. Yeah. You want a guy? You're yeah. going to bet on a guy that's going to mentally check out in the middle of fights. And, you know, people are going to be it's like... a really strange hey, circumstance. Dude, let, let's talk about this. You know, people are going to be like, oh, he's a fucking ranger. He's so mentally strong. This... Uh, Jake Ellenberger's a Marine. Can we stop with the fucking He's in the army, therefore he's more mentally strong inside the octagon argument? I understand in a real life situation, you know, in war, I'd want Tim Kennedy to Kim, Tim Kennedy to have my back. Okay, I get it. But this isn't fucking war. This is the UFC. And when it comes to fighting, I don't believe that he's that mentally strong, Sean. I believe that he's got one foot out the door. You know, first he's got a fucking reality show. Now he's trying to start a fighters union. The dude does not give a fuck about fighting. It's the last thing. And it's not recent. I mean, you go back to his fight against Gracie and he's talking about how You know, I could make more money being a garbage man. The dude's never been into fighting. He's got one foot completely out the door. He does not want to be there. And on the feet... He also
1: looked terrible in that fight, by the way. What, the
0: Yoel one? Against Gracie. Oh, yeah, the Gracie one. I mean, I was was at that fight. It was the night that Silva fought Weidman the first time. You know, every fight was great except that one. The crowd's doing a fucking wave during that fight. But anyways, man, the dude does not want to fight. He wants to start a union. He wants to find Hitler. He wants to do all these things you know who wants to fight? Kelvin wants to fight. Kelvin's going to give him a fight. Kelvin's going to whoop his ass. Two units, plus 130. Book it. Cash it.
1: Yeah, I like Gaston here too. And like you said, Tim Kennedy has 50,000 irons in the fire. He's doing everything except for training. Um, I'm positive that he's in good shape. You can look at him. That's that's a lot different than getting better. He's also at the tail of his career no matter how often he fought. Uh, It's got to be about the end. But
0: it is about That's the end because, sorry, sorry to interrupt, because he said, no, go ahead. I, I wasn't going to come back, but you know, UFC 205, Madison Square Garden, I'll, I'll come back for that. He said, I was thinking about never fighting again. So now it's kind of like he's forced to fight, and now he's got to peak again, kind of like uh, you know when you were fading Ian McCall a couple weeks back.
1: Yeah, it's it's not a fight that he can get up for. And then Kelvin, Kelvin Gaston misses weight again and has something to prove. He won't miss weight this time. and Last time this happened to him, he moved up and, and destroyed a pretty goddamn dangerous dude, uh, a, a better striker than, than Tim Kennedy, matter of fact. What this comes down to is Tim Kennedy's big, and he's going to try to wrestle. This is how he wins that fight. He stays on top. I don't think he's knocking Kelvin Gatlin out. Um, I don't think his hands are good enough. I don't think he's fast enough. I don't think his defense is good enough. I don't think his footwork is good enough. Standing up, I think Kevin Gastelum, especially looking better than he's ever looked in his last fight, like looking like he's putting shit together, looking like uh, training at Kings is is working, uh, he's left body kick, like the fucking dude looked good. He did. He looked good. He's got the takedown defense to to stop Tim Kennedy despite the size, um, I think he's the better fighter. But the, the biggest thing for me here is you've got an, an active guy who's young, who's on his way up and he's fighting Tim Kennedy. Who's what is it? Is it a two year layoff? Is it more? It's right. November now two years, right? 2014. Okay. That's, a, that's a ridiculous layoff. That's a ridiculous layoff. And you don't, you got to come in and feel comfortable, and Kelvin Gastelum is not going to give you a chance to, to feel comfortable. I really feel like this is Tim Kennedy playing catch-up for the entire fight. Just, he loses the first round, always oh, feels a little warmed up, always oh, remembers what fighting's like. He does a little better in the second round, maybe, but it's not enough to win it. And then going into the third you know what i'm saying like doesn't matter if you win it there you're not getting the stoppage i don't see him i don't see him getting the stoppage i see kelvin winning this by decision i don't think kelvin stops him either because he's tough as shit but uh two units on on kelvin i got it plus at plus 140 um i played that straight and i also have uh the over in this fight in a parlay with something later
0: you're definitely going to catch the straight one that's for sure uh hopefully the overcatches as well. But the thing is, man, you mentioned how his striking is not as good, and Tim Kennedy's striking is clearly not as good because he's the kind of guy that, you know, will circle and be inactive at times and then wait for that one big punch. He ho- you know, he hopes he can land that one big punch. That's the worst game plan against a guy like Kelvin, who's he's a volume striker, but he hits fucking hard, man. I mean, you better keep your hands up and your chin down when you're fighting a guy like Kelvin, especially when you don't even want to fight anymore, man. It just... Wrong place, wrong time for Tim Kennedy in my opinion. Yeah. And it's funny. I see people writing articles saying like, oh, it's the matchmaker's wrath. They're feeding Kelvin to the middleweight. I'm like, shut the
1: fuck oh, up. Like no. This dude, Tim. They hate Kennedy more.
0: Tim doesn't want to fight. And, I mean, did you see his last fight? He got killed. He straight up got killed. Yeah. And he hasn't fought since. Oh. He quit the sport.
1: It's not a, it's not a good matchup for him for for a, a thousand different reasons beyond technical reasons but technical reasons too not not a good matchup uh, I didn't expect Kelvin to be plus one forty that's that's not right Sweet. we will find out also the the gasoline over is with the Makovsky over uh, that's two units at plus one ten
0: well that Makovsky over is definitely hitting hopefully the Kelvin one does too but.
1: Oh. These touches, no, famous last words. Don't say that. <laughs> right. But,
0: uh, yeah, I mean, I, I could go on about this, but I, I think we made our points pretty clear, so we can move on. We can move on to funner days because, dude, do-ho motherfucking Choi is minus 220 and Cub Swanson is plus 180. I mean what is there to say bro they're they're about to throw down and one guy's going to fall down and th- the question is is Duho the real deal I know I mean I know he's the real deal but the thing is he hasn't had that big name victory yet so this could be the one Now, when you see Cub Swanson, you know, plus 180, plus 200, conventional wisdom says, oh, I'm taking that shot, especially against an unproven guy. But the way the styles match up, it's a tough matchup for Cub Swanson. The reason why is, and we know about his unorthodox striking, but, you know, he puts his hands down, you know, he tries to do the, the boxing thing with the, you know, the left hand down and, you know, tries to shoulder roll a lot. And he depends on his shoulder blocking his chin and his head movement. Dude, Duho Choi is so damn accurate. I mean, you watch that fight against Tiago Tavares, and, man, Tiago Tavares, first of all, <laughs> it was doing a lot of things fundamentally wrong, you know, wh- where I come from, where, you know, his fucking hands, he did what's known as the open door, where it's, your hands are literally, look. if you put one hand up slightly in front of your ear, you put your other hand up slightly in front of your ear, you see how your face is wide open? That's exactly how Tiago Tavares was fighting against Duho Choi. He left that open door, whereas what we like to do is we put that backhand next to the chin and that front hand in front. Tiago Tavares had no clue what he was doing, but Cub Swanson's a way better striker than that. I mean, it's about Duho Choi and his accuracy, so... Is Duho Choi about to knock this dude out, or is he about to get that, that first UFC L? I think he's going to knock him out, Sean. I think that Cub's on the way out. I mean, I faded Cub against uh, Max, against Frankie, even against Hakran. That one didn't work out, but it's all good. And I noticed the decline of Cub around the Jeremy Stephens fight. You know, a lot of people say it was the Frankie fight. It wasn't the Frankie fight. It was the Jeremy Stephens fight. That was the first one where, you know, you remember when he was on that run, and it was beautiful destruction. He doing all these amazing things. The Jeremy fight was the first one where he started to slow down a bit. Then he took two ass whoopings in a row. Now he's being a little bit conservative. I mean, that fight with, with Kawajiri, that
1: was a really good one. But we're going to find out where the
0: fuck he's at, Sean.
1: I don't think he's quite that done yet. I don't. I, I, the decline is real, for sure. I, I You can see that. That's true. I agree with you. But I don't think he's quite done. I, I think he's, he's very slick. Uh, he's got a deep bag of tricks. Like a real veteran dude. Um, you know, he's just, he's taken a lot of damage and he's he's gotten near the top and not gotten there. Um, the problem is, is that price? I haven't bet this site yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm picking cub and I'm probably going to bet up that price to me is way off. Uh, the things that Troy does, uh, you see him and he does them great. You're right. The punches are super straight. He's super accurate. He obviously hits hard. He's obviously fast. Um, He even reacted well when he got taken down by Tavares. He didn't, he didn't act like, Oh shit. What do I do now? Like he, he calmly did exactly what you should have done. Uh, That's, that's great. Um, But there's just so many questions really like what happens if what he does doesn't work. What happens if the fight gets into a little deeper water? You know, it, it's tough. There's not a lot of things. And, and the idea of, of Pup being plus 200 or better is a little disrespectful to Cub. This is the biggest step up that Choi's ever had in his career um, by far. It's, it's tough, man. That, that price could be trappy, but that, that price is just too high. It's too high. We don't know enough about Choi. Um, I think Cub can do veteran things. I think he can get takedowns. I think he can get more takedowns later in the fight. I think he can kind of, uh, you know, mesmerize Choi a little bit and, and, and do fancy things and things that Troy hasn't been able to, hasn't seen and hasn't had to deal with that maybe slows him down a little bit. Maybe Choi keeps on biting on feints for the whole fight. You know, he's just the veteran guy and this is a this is a tough step up. And you know, if that price was any closer, I'd I'd obviously be passing. I wouldn't even go near it. But at that price, ooh, it's tough. Call me. Dude, I Call feel me. like I'll
0: if I feel like if the price was different, you'd have a different breakdown here.
1: I wouldn't have a different break, breakdown. I, I would have, if the price was real close, I'd probably be on Troy and I'd be worried about all the things that I've just said. You know, what I'm saying like, yeah, the price at plus two hundred, those things are still real, regardless of what the price is. You know, what I mean, those things that, that Cub can do in this fight are are still real. Let's talk. About he can the obviously you said, though. I mean, get tagged and, and hurt.
0: When do, when does Cub shoot for takedowns?
1: Well, you know, no, he doesn't. But he has been talking about that. He's been talking about that in every interview that I've heard. Talk is cheap. Talking no, about, talk, yeah, absolutely. Does that mean anything? I don't know. If he's got the game plan of, well, I'm not staying with this guy, I'm taking him down and doing jigs and things to him, uh, that's the fucking plan to have. You know what I'm saying? Like, Cubs striking, you can't shit on Cubs striking no matter what. You know what I'm saying? Like, no matter what kind of decline. Uh, you think he's on, he's still knocking dudes down and landing cartwheel kicks. That's not normal. You know what I'm saying? Like, to do those and miss, you're, that's kind of dumb. He's landing them. He's hurting people. He's dropping them. That's still happening. Uh, he knows his shit. You know what I'm saying? He knows his shit. We do not know if Troy knows his shit. We know what he does really well, and that thing that he does really well can probably get rid of anyone. But eventually, it's not eventually is not going to get rid of a guy. Then what happens?
0: Yeah, but I'm really surprised that you didn't mention one of your favorite things, which is something that Choi does, and that's throw straight punches. Straight, accurate, oh, yeah, powerful straight. punches.
1: But like you mentioned with Tavares, earmuffs, right? I'm usually I'm thinking that earmuffs in, in MMA is good because nobody throws straight punches. So, it's, you know, the idea of people using earmuffs to block head punches – It's not great, but probably there's loopy punches coming at you, so go ahead and throw them up. And you see what happens when somebody throws straight shots. Uh, Cub, like you already mentioned, is not a fucking earmuff guy. He's a not-going-to-be-there guy, or he's going to slip it off the top of his shoulder guy. And occasionally, he's going to get hit flush with it and go to sleep guy. You know what I'm saying? That can happen. So, nothing yet, but... It's just that price is
0: too it's much. It's just, are we still getting that dynamic Cub Swanson? Because you remember the Holloway fight. I know how amazing Holloway is. Like we, we don't have to fucking debate that. It's just that fight was a standing fight, you know. And you saw what the fuck happened, man. Cub can be outstruck. He can be rocked. He can be finished. Yeah, yeah but I don't push Holloway
1: close to each other.
0: And also, yeah, of course, but also. One thing that Choi really impressed me on last fight, which was one of the questions I had, was what happens when this guy gets taken down. That that's always a question you have with any prospect. He did the, yeah, the he, great. he did the great the best thing you can do, which is relax. He held the head down of um, of Tavares, and uh, he w- he worked his way back up, and then he knocked him out. Yeah, that that's exactly yep. what I want to see. So now it's going to be a real fight while it lasts, but I do think he's going to find the chin of Cub Swanson and get that first big victory under his belt. So, may the Completely best man win. But I'm not fucking betting it at this price because, like you said, the line is disrespectful to Cub Swanson. But e- even respectful, not respectful, whatever, who gives a fuck, it's too um, rich for my liking. And that's the bottom line. Yeah. So, next up, yeah. this one's for the fans, dude. Donald Cowboy Cerrone is minus 265. Matthew Immortal Brown is plus 225. I mean, isn't this amazing? Two guys that always put it all on the line. They always come to fight. They're both kind of weak to the body, Sean. <laughs> um, it's uh, yeah. it, it's gonna be spectacular while it lasts. Um, I understand why Cowboy is the favorite. Not only is he looking incredible at welterweight in, in his current run, but you know, Matt might have uh, Matt might be on the decline as much as it pains me to say, because he's one of my all-time favorite fighters. I mean, it's Matt the motherfucking Immortal Brown, dude. I mean, that war with Eric Silva, the war with Robbie Lawler, the fucking war with Jordan Meehan, the war with Wonder Boy. Matt Brown, to me, is just... He's one of my all-time favorites, like I said, dude. So, I love that guy. And uh, it's sad to see one of your favorite fighters on the decline. You know what I'm saying? Like that Jake Ellenberger fight. You know know how I hate to talk about the fucking 9 times out of 10 argument because it's for idiots? But, dude, come on. If Matt Brown fought Jake Ellenberger nine, you know, ten times, he'd win nine of those, right? Right, Sean? Right? No, but most likely. in in this spot, look, there's obviously the chance that Cerrone takes him down and subs him. You know, a lot of people like to talk about the submission defense from Brown, which has historically been his Achilles heel. But if you really think about it, only Damian Maya has tapped him out since fucking forever, since, like, since like UFC 139 or some shit, you know what I'm saying? Since like 2011, the only guy to tap him out is Damian Maia. So that's excusable in my opinion. Uh, and he's patched up all the other areas of his game. It's just that after that war with, with Robbie Lawler, I think that was kind of like his title shot, man. I feel like that was kind of like his uh, his peak. It sucks, man. It sucks to see it, you know? the Tim, The Tim Means fight was unbelievable while that lasted. But man, I kind of expected more in the Johnny Hendricks fight. I obviously expected more in the Jake Ellenberger fight. Now here with Donald Cowboy, I mean, you know, the way to beat Cowboy is to pressure him and stay on him. And isn't that what Matt Brown's really good at, Sean? Like, I feel like that's the way to do it. But the thing with Cowboy is he's so dynamic with those kicks, the check knees, you feel like he might be the guy... That goes to Brown's body and puts him down with another body shot. But we know that Cowboy's weak to the body, too. And a lot of people like to say, well, now that he's at 170, he's not weak to the body anymore. And that's complete bullshit. The reason he's weak to the body is because he had, you know, a percentage of his fucking spleen or some shit or his liver, I don't fucking know, removed because of one of his extreme sports accidents. So I don't think moving up 15 pounds is going to aid that at all. It's just... It is what it is. Just like with Matt Brown. I don't think a thousand crunches is gonna aid him either. It is what it is. So both guys have been notoriously weak to the body on the UFC level. You know, they'd fucking kill anyone else, right? So is Matt Brown gonna be able to use that forward pressure and break the cowboy, or is cowboy gonna be too technical and uh you know, too much in his prime for Matt Brown at this point? I'm not betting this fight, dude. This is the kind of fight where all your friends better be fucking watching this fight.
1: I have a super super clear read on this fight, but it's a cowboy fight, and I don't bet cowboy fights because I'm always wrong. So disregard everything I'm about to say. But, um, you know, Damien Maya, uh, I bet him by sub over Matt Brown. That's not a fucking genius call or something. That's a pretty stock idea. No, it's a um, genius call. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, you know, Damien Maya, subbed in we thought he was going to sub him, we did. But what we didn't think was going to happen is that he was going to break Matt Brown. He broke Matt Brown. Not in a I pummeled your face kind of way, in a kind of way where Matt Brown just goes, wow, when I'm in this situation, I'm just not good enough. You know what I'm saying? like, it's happened to him multiple times, but that was the worst. When he finally did give up the sub, and uh, towards the end of the second and third, like, He's just like, I don't, I can't do it. I can't, like, I don't have it. You know what I'm saying? And and he broke. And then I bet Ellenberger against him and, and got lucky as fuck. But he's still broken. Um, in this fight, I don't think he has what it, what it takes anymore to do Matt Brown kind of stuff, which is walk through the fire and eventually walk down Cowboy and, and make Cowboy doubt himself like we've seen him do and then win the fight that way. Um, what I do think happens is that he tries to come forward, and there's one thing in particular, which is that step-back counter knee. Uh, that's two too puzzle pieces fitting together. It's too good. That particular thing is deadly. That particular thing is Matt Brown's weakness. That particular thing lands all the fucking time for Cowboy and it lands on people who come forward easily. Matt Brown is going to come forward. That's how it happens. It happens in round one. So if I I wasn't the worst Cowboy better of all times, I would take Cowboy by knockout in round one by particularly that strike.
0: I mean, that's probably somewhat what it's going to go down like, but, man, wouldn't it be nice to have another vintage Matt Brown performance, dude?
1: Oh yeah, I love Matt Brown. I, you know what I'm saying? Like it'd be fucking great. It'd be great to see these guys go to war. But I think, uh, no, not this time. In it's, I think it's over for Matt Brown, unfortunately.
0: It hurts, man. It's a sad day. But at least the guy that he's potentially going to lose to on Saturday is a badass like Cowboy Cerrone. You know what I mean? But when you talk about Matt Brown being broken. There, there's degrees of being broken. I don't think he's as broken as the guy he just lost to, you know, Jake Ellenberger.
1: No. That could be true. I think they're both, uh, they're both leading. No.
0: Oh, yeah, that's true. But, like, what I'm saying is, if, like, Jorge Masvidal fought Matt Brown, yeah, Jorge is probably going to win the fight, but I don't think he's going to make Matt Brown quit the way he made Ellenberger quit.
1: No. I don't think Ellenberger quit either, I think. Yeah, he wasn't fucking thrilled to be there anymore. Well, do you remember
0: that one combo where he he wanted to quit? He wanted the ref to step in? I'm saying shit like that's not going to happen to Matt Brown. It's going to be with Matt Brown, you have to lay him out. You have to put him down. He's not going to fucking, you know, start covering up and waiting for the ref. He has to literally be done for you to finish the fight. That's the difference between Matt Brown and Jake Ellenberger, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, it's just tough to attribute because we're not the ones getting hit in the body. You know what I'm saying? Like... Yeah, but we're the ones watching ones. and
0: making money and losing yeah.
1: money. So. No, I'm, I'm, that's not my point. My point is, like, uh, we do not know the legitimacy of every body shot that Matt Brown has taken. You know what I'm saying? like, uh, there's definitely shots that hit you in the liver and your whole body freezes. Then there's ones that just hurt. So which is which? You know what I'm saying? Like we don't, we don't know. That fucking Jake Ellenberger kick. Like, oh, this is my door.
0: That Jake Ellenberger kick was like the Eric Silva kick in my opinion. I mean, it was just a fucking perfect kick.
1: Yeah, it looked hard as fuck for sure. Yeah, it
0: did. So praying for the vintage Matt Brown performance, but you know, most likely the Cowboys gonna get him out of there. So enjoy that one. Main event of the evening: Max Blessed Holloway's minus 190. The comeback on Anthony Showtime Pettis is plus 165. This is a really cool fight because it's almost like it's almost like a teacher versus student in a way, you know what I'm saying? And the student's about to rise up in a big fucking way. I mean when Showtime Pettis was the man, I mean when he was jumping off the cage and head kicking Benson Henderson and doing all the wild shit that he used to do, I mean the dude was an innovator, man. I mean the next day after the Showtime kick, dudes are in the gym jumping off the walls trying to hit the tie pads, like he's he's an icon. He was on the Wheaties box. Do you remember how dominant Pettis was around the time of that Cowboy Cerrone fight, the Benson Henderson fight, even the Gil Melendez fight? Like, dude, Pettis was looking untouchable, and Rafael went in there, and if you watch that fight, you know, people only remember the offense that Rafael Dos Anos landed, but they don't remember that. Pettis actually looked good in that fight, offensively speaking. Like, he landed a clean head kick to the chin of Rafael Dos Anos, and somehow Dos Anos just walked right through it, so... That was the last time, in my opinion, that Pettis really looked good. Because his next fight against Alvarez, very uninspired performance. The body kicks didn't have the same impact. And then, you know, you make the excuse for him. You're like, well, Alvarez didn't really want to fight. He just wanted to clinch him up the fence and take him down. Let's see what he does against the striker. Okay, well, let's put him up against the striker. He goes in there against Edson Barbosa. He gets outstruck all three rounds. And it's not the same fucking showtime that you used to see. He just doesn't look the same physically and clearly mentally either. Um, he used to just try such wild, innovative shit, and now when he tries it, it kind of looks forced and pointless. It's almost like w- at, when he was the fucking man, he was on a different level than everyone else, but he kind of stayed on that level, and everyone surpassed him. I feel like he hasn't evolved. And uh, yeah. and this is coming from a big Showtime fan. I fucking love it. It's Showtime, man. You know what I'm well, saying? The,
1: the thing... That- The thing that you're really talking about is when these guys who live on speed and reflexes and that kind of stuff, when they, you know, start losing some of that stuff, they go out there and they go, I have to be Anthony Pettis. This is the kind of things that Anthony Pettis does. That's what I'm going to do. I'm flashy. I'm Anthony Pettis. Let's jump off the cage. Let's do, you know what I'm saying? Like, and what you're saying, like, that stuff looks forced and stuff like that. The guys who persevere and adjust and make it go out there and they don't go, I must do Anthony Pettis. They go out there and they go, I must win. You know what I'm saying? And they do something different. And he's not really, that's not what's happening, unfortunately. You know what I'm saying? What. Go ahead, finish. I don't even know if you picked yet. Well,
0: I know who you're picking, but go ahead. It's just just like it, it was kind of sad to see with Matt Brown. It's also sad to see with Pettis. It's sad to see when your favorite fighters, you know, are kind of losing it a little bit. And don't get me wrong. He'd still beat a majority of the guys at lightweight and featherweight. But, you know, it's not like he's going 15 to 5 to 1. He's going 1 to 5 to 15. You know what I'm saying, Sean? It's one of those situations. Yeah. And it's... It's sad to see, and man, now he's running into a guy that, I mean, he's running into the champion. I know Max Holloway is going to be the champion. It's his fucking destiny, and I don't even believe in any of that bullshit, just, but it it is what it is, man. He's hes going to be the champion. Just like I said Connor was going to be the champion, I know Max is going to be the champion too, and he's got that thing about him. I mean, Max does what Pettis used to do. But he does it even better, and it's more evolved. And, you know, with Pettis, Pettis was never known for his hands. When he dropped guys, it's with body kicks, with head kicks, and he also submitted people. Max doesn't only drop people with kicks. He drops them with punches too, Sean, and he pushes them up against the fence, not grappling-wise, but pressure-wise. He walks you down with his amazing footwork. I mean, he's switching stances And he fights like a long-range fighter. And the reason I say like a long-range fighter is because he is not a long-range fighter in terms of his reach. He actually has a fucking short-ass reach. He's got a shorter reach than Frankie Edgar, Sean. He's got like a 68 inch reach, but he fights like he's got a fucking 75 inch reach. He knows his distance and his range, unlike anyone else. And you know, towards uh, the beginning of Pettis' decline, you know how he always gets, you know, pushed up against the fence every single fight. You know, me and the MMA genius were always screaming at the TV, "Stop backing up into the fence!" Well, guess what? Max Holloway backs people up into the fence with his footwork. And Pettis is notorious for doing that. So when Pettis is getting backed up He's gonna get teed off on with the hands and then Max is gonna throw in the spinning back kicks and you're not gonna believe The way Pettis is about to get outstruck here almost like in that Barbosa fight where he got marginally outstruck I mean, no, he definitely got outstruck there But I'm saying this is gonna be a step up from that Sean. I feel like this. I feel like he might get finished here this might be the first time Anthony Showtime Pettis gets finished, and I'm not sitting here sleeping on him, counting him out. I mean, I got a fucking signed picture of this dude on my wall. Like, I'm a fucking Showtime fan. I've been watching this dude since the WEC. I'm down with Showtime, but this is, but if you're a betting man or just if you're true with yourself, you know, you know when that time is, and now is that time, man. I think he's finally gonna get finished, dude. And you know, a lot of people are saying that, well, this is a good matchup for Pettis because it's striker versus striker. Dude, I already used the Barboza example. It's not about just, it goes beyond striker versus striker. It's the style of striking that Holloway brings to the table. It's his time, Sean. That's the bottom line. I got two units on Max Holloway parlayed with something on the other card.
1: Yeah, I've got uh, four units on Max Holloway parlayed with something at the end of the month. Um You know, once upon a time, I bet on Anthony Pettis to beat Barbosa because the kind of situations that he's in, being pushed up against the cage and fighting off takedowns and not being urgent with it, that's how he loses, right? He's now losing in an open space. He's super good at that. That's his chance to feel confident. That's his chance to to feel like Anthony Pettis. Um, And Barbosa was going to give that to him. And then you watch the fight, and you're fucking dead wrong and you instantly understand you go okay Anthony P- Anthony Pettis can't pull the trigger anymore that's that's the problem he can't pull the trigger anymore i bet pettis against Dubronx bronx because Dubronx bronx will kind of fall over even if you don't hit him clean and and
0: yeah and you know, real quick sorry uh, yeah. to interrupt we've never questioned pettis toughness that's why we bet him against Du bronx no. because with pettis he's tough, he's as, tough fuck. as fuck it's this isn't about his toughness
1: yeah, that's probably never going to go away. Honestly, like he seems too prideful to to just take the back door. But uh, Dubronx on the other hand, uh, n- no. Um, but even though I won that bet, I was wrong on that fight again. Uh, the The most stunning thing about that fight was Dubronx walking Pettis down and hitting him with punches. Uh, the the grappling was great by Pettis and the reversals he had and the eventual sub. That's excellent. But the stand up uh, was shocking to me because it was like Dubronx Bronx was the aggressor and he was the aggressor after getting dropped. He he somehow felt safe in there. Uh, that's not something that you should feel when you're in a cage with Anthony Pettis. Safe shouldn't be in your head at all. That's what it looked like to me. He said, I'm going to track you down and hit you. And then he did track him down and hit him. Uh, Pettis' cardio at 145 looked terrible. His face, his body, his fucking gray-ass lips, he, he looked terrible at 145. He instantly, after that fight, started floating up ideas of going back to 55. Yeah, I'll fight where the money is. I'll fight, you know, I'll go back to 155. I'll go. Nobody was asking you if you're going back to 155, dude. We know what happens at 155. We wanted to see you at 45. You're the only one talking about 55. You're talking about 55 because you hated 45. Okay? So now you're at 45. You're fighting possibly the best guy at, at, you know, that's absolutely fucking debatable, but possibly the best guy at 45. And one of the things that you hit on that I believe will happen in this fight is Pettis not pulling the trigger when his back gets near the cage that's fucking death right there. Like if you're going to Holloway's eventually going to back you into the fence one way or another. And when he gets you there, Holloway never gets you to the fence and then faints and then lets you off the fence. Like every time Holloway gets you to the fence, he goes, Oh, time to hit you. And then just lets off with a fucking combo. Um, That's bad. If you can't pull the trigger, if you can't scare max off with a counter right there and get his respect, then that's going to happen to you more and more and more and more. And that's what we're going to see. Uh, Max Holloway probably wins a 50-45 here. The reasons why I think he could finish him is because I'm not sure that Pettis' cardio could hold up for five. The reasons why I don't think that he finishes them are because – Pettis is just so tough and Max Holloway is not a, you know, a big puncher. And we've seen this fucking guy take a severe beating for five rounds. You know what I'm saying? I don't think uh, his ability to take a shot is, is left. So I I think he probably stays in there, but that cardio is just such an X factor. I don't know what that cardio is going to like. It was almost gone in three. So four and five, when Max is still going strong, it's going to be bad. And, Say what you want about how tough Pettis is, but the difference we're talking about here is when Holloway stops and points at the mat and says, let's fucking fight right now, and does that thing that he did with <laughs> Lamas, do you picture Pettis going, okay, let me oblige you in fighting? No, I sure don't. I picture him backing up circle and, and looking for a long kick. You know what I'm saying? Like. It's this this guy's grittiness and willingness to put it all on the line and the other guy gun shy and, and looking for his former identity. This is this is a bad matchup. It's it's a bad matchup. I love Holloway here. Definitely. That price is fucking way off. That price is way off. It should be two fifty at least.
0: And the reason I bring up that he could potentially get finished here is because, you know, you mentioned how the RDA fight, you know, he did take that five round ass open like a man. But the thing is, that happened, and then the Eddie fight happened, and then the Barbosa fight happened, and then the first cut to 145 happened. all that shit adds up, dude, and eventually they start getting finished when you don't expect them to get finished. We're strong totally possible. We're strong on Max here, and you know, since we have to talk about some of these early prelims you got an opinion on Mitch Gagnon at minus 160 versus Matthew Lopez at plus 140 I mean all I gotta say is that Mitch is coming off a huge layoff maybe that Burrell fight was kind of like his title fight and maybe he just doesn't give a fuck anymore Matthew Lopez tough matchup in his debut against uh, Hani Aya tough fight for anyone I don't know what the fuck he's all about let's find out let's find out straight up Mitch Gagnon is a little tank though I'll tell you that right now and that dude's gonna come to fight
1: Uh, Gagnon is tough as shit for sure uh the striking is good the jiu is good i don't like neck injuries and i don't like layoffs that long i do like him at home i don't like him to uh if anybody gets a finish it's probably can't and not, not um a little doesn't show me much going into that fight I, uh against Yaya, yeah, yeah, i thought he was going to lose um it's it, you know you you couldn't Matthew Lopez didn't show me anything in that debut. I don't think that you should be going strike for strike with Ronnie Yaya. Um, You know, it's tough to say, you know, your grappling didn't look good against somebody with the credentials of of Yaya as Yaya, but there's plenty of times where he could have done the right thing and he did the wrong thing. He went the wrong way. Um, Like, he stopped scrambling before Yaya. Scrambling, you know what I'm saying? Like, well, that's that's a thing that happens, the- yeah. But that,
0: that happens when you're fighting a superior grappler, so you, you can't hold that against him. Because, I mean, it, in the gym, when you're grappling with a dude that's a couple belts above you, it like when people are watching from the outside, they're like, Why'd you stop? But it's like, dude, do you know what it fucking feels like to have a much superior grappler like beating your ass? I feel like that's why that kind of happened. But if that happens again, he's gonna lose here.
1: I mean, he just has. Look, he had a, the youthful, athletic advantage. You know what I'm saying? Like, And I wanted to see that. And that's, that was his biggest chance to win the fight, and that was not utilized. And the, the striking was very underwhelming. Um, if not for the layoff, I would play Ganyon here. Uh, I'll pick him. And
0: next up, Valerie lets her know she's minus 175, and Viviane. Pereira is plus 155 now don't get Viviane Pereira confused with Jose Aldo's wife because that's her exact name and she is a fighter as well but this chick Viviane, she's like 12 and 0 you know she's really short for the weight class but she comes to fight I've watched her fights on the regional scene and uh if Valerie Letourneau isn't uh mentally ready to come back into a fight this could be a good underdog spot because I mean Letourneau we know the deal with some fighters when they get to that title shot and they lose they don't come back the same. Some come back better than ever, but some do not come back the same, man. Can we all agree that Laterno didn't come back the same against JoJo Caldwood? You know, all credit to Jojo, but uh, you know, since when does Laterno quit more than once in the middle of a fight? The ref didn't notice the first time. So, uh, you know what, man? I'm gonna go with the upset here with Viviane Pereira, but I'm not gonna bet on it, because, you know, when I bet on women's fights, it has to be a high level underdog, like a Valentina Shevchenko and Amanda Nunes those are the spots I bet on in women's fights I know people like to bet the overs but that, that worked out really well in that Sarah McMahon fight last week right so you know in this one it's either dog or pass in my opinion Sean yeah play the over yeah and now next up we at Olivier Aubin-Mercier he's minus 165 the comeback on Drew Dober is plus 145 and uh Conventional wisdom says that Olivier Olivier Aubin-Mercier is going to do, you know, the little tri-star game, get that nice 30-27. What he really brings to the table more than his grind, in my opinion, is that fucking body kick. This dude, when he kicks you to the body, he kicks hard. And, you know, I faded him at the right time to fade him against uh, Carlos Diego. I'm not sure if Drew Dober is going to get it done here. I think he can. I think he's more talented on the feet. I think his takedown defense has improved. I do think he's he's got what it takes. But he seems to fall short in these spots over and over again. So it's not going to surprise me to see Aubin Mercier overpower him and get that decision here. But uh, you know i got to pull for Drew Dober, a much more exciting fighter. So I hope he's able to utilize his leg kicks. Maybe he's got confidence coming out coming off that first round knockout and maybe he can uh, do something similar here cuz Olivier does not have the best chin but he is tough as fuck and that goddamn body kick look out for it so uh rooting for Drew Dober but most likely OAM for the victory
1: Yeah when all the odds came when all the odds came out I was going to bet Dober at that number I like that but I prioritized some other guys ahead of him and by the time I was done actually putting those bets in the, the number on Dober was gone What number was it? I didn't. I think it was one sixty, right? And then by the time I looked again, and it was one twenty, and I didn't like one twenty anymore.
0: It's forty five.
1: I would. Okay, well, if it climbs back up, I'm interested. But at the one at under one sixty, I'm not. I'm not into it because of Canada. If it wasn't Canada, I'd be into it. Um, You know, there's always been problems with with OAM striking. Uh, his hit ability, his, his reactions to getting hit. I don't like any of that stuff. And I don't like the way he acts when he can't get the takedowns. He he looks desperate to get them after a while. And no doubt the grappling is good and the takedowns are pretty decent. He seems uh, like he's obviously very strong. Um, it's just he seems like a plan A type guy and if plan A work, uh, doesn't work, then he's, he's got plan B problems. I think this is going to be one of those cases. Um, he, You know, Dober can be subbed, but I think that Dober's going to be able to keep this standing, and I think Dober lands the sharper, harder shot. Um, you know, this could look... It could look really close, and that's the thing that worries me, because OAM close in Canada, he's probably not going to lose. Um, I'll pick Dober, but no bet.
0: And I think we covered all of UFC two hundred six. So UFC Albany Sean. So instead of just having weigh-ins on Friday, at least we get a nice little Strike Force Challengers type card, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, it's exactly a Strike Force Challengers card.
0: It is. And uh first up we got Mark Diakiesi. He's minus 310. Mark Diakies. I think that's how you pronounce it. He's taking on the formerly retired Frankie Perez who's plus 230. Now you watch both of Frankie Perez's fights and you know, before you even watch him, you know that he is training with Mark Henry, so that means his sparring partners are guys like Frankie Edgar, Edson Barbosa, Eddie Alvarez, all those badasses. So you think when you're in a in a crew of guys like that, a stable like that, you know, he's getting good work in, but then you remember that there are those guys that are the punching bags to the stars. We talk it we talk about it every episode of the show, Sean. And I think that's what Frankie yeah. Perez is to you know to Frankie Edgar Barboza and the guys I mentioned because look, he makes his UFC debut against Johnny Case and I mean, dude, Johnny Case whooped his ass in a way where, you know, I I, I thought Frankie Perez was never gonna be the same. And then he, he did retire his next fight. But uh you know, his ne- and then his next fight he goes in there against uh Sam Stout, and obviously I bet on Frankie Perez because you always bet against Sam Stout, especially at that point in his career. So that was no I wasn't surprised that he knocked him out in, you know, a minute 10 seconds and you know that's only the second knockout of Frankie Perez's career. You know what I'm saying, Sean? It, like Sam Stout was that deep into the game, you know what I mean? The dude ah, the dude you yeah. could you could never knock him out and then he's getting knocked out every every fight. That's how it goes in this game. But uh after that fight, so he gets the biggest win of his career. He knocks out the the you know, the vet Sam Stout and then he's like, "You know what? I'm 26 years old." Uh, you know, I'm sorry to my family, to my friends. Uh, I, I'm retiring. I'm hanging up the glove. Like, what the fuck, dude? Like, you're 20... Dude, he's 26 and he's talking... He hung up the gloves once already? If that doesn't scream head case, I don't know what does. And he's coming in here against Marty Diakiesi, Diakies, who's a fucking who's a specimen. I mean, the dude's athletic as hell. He went in there in his UFC debut. He got taken down in the first 10 seconds of the fight. When a dude gets taken down in the first 10 seconds of the fight in their UFC debut, you're going to find out what they're made of because some guys are like, oh, shit, you know, those lights are really bright. They're pretty fucking hot. I can feel them. You know what? Fuck this shit. I I don't belong here. Other guys are going to relax Wait for their moment to get back up and implement their game plan, and that's exactly what Diazquees did. And he took out a guy that you know went three rounds with uh with Nick Hine, a guy that beat Marcin Held back in the day. And Mark Diazquees fucking knocked this dude out and made him fold up to body shots. It, it was a it was a beauty to see. Not saying that Mark Diaquis is a you know the next whatever. Maybe he is. Maybe he isn't. I don't know. That doesn't really matter right now. But all I'm saying is. If you're looking to fade a, you know, one of these retirement-type dudes and one of these you know, punching bags-to-the-stars-type dudes, Mark D'Aquise is your guy to get the job done. And I think he's going to go out there and finish Frankie Perez in the second round. So I was thinking about parlaying Lando Venata and uh, Mark D'Aquise just in the sense that both fighters are going against dudes with one foot out the door. But, I mean, ultimately, I don't know enough about either of them to pull the trigger on that so therefore i'm gonna pass but who knows the line gets better and maybe i get plus 200 on that play and i'll go for it but i don't know enough sean but my prediction is Diaquisa sends perez back into retirement
1: i i more or less agree with everything that you're saying as far as the technical matchup goes i the way that i feel about this fight is that uh Diakis, is that what we're going with um didn't show me much, uh, athletic explosive. Okay. I get it. There's a thousand guys like that and and they're all supposed to be the shit and they're all going to knock everybody out that they've ever fought, but they don't, uh, they get beat. Um, they get exposed. Uh, Frankie Perez has some of the skills that you would need to expose a overhyped Euro prospect. Uh, the thing that turns me off about it is of course that he's been knocked out and that the retirement bullshit don't like either of those things. Um, but minus 300, no, no, you know what I'm saying? Like I would walk away from this one, uh, or, or play a prop if you want to play a prop, but I would not be surprised in the, in the slightest if Perez exposes this guy. When you, you know, say
0: um, when you say that Frankie Perez has the style to beat the Euro prospect, how the fuck do you know? Because I only saw him get fucking worked by Johnny Case, and then I saw him knock out Stout in you know a minute and a half.
1: His wrestling's pretty good, you know. what I mean, and that's that's obviously the the historical problem with these Euro prospect. I mean, types. how how good are we talking? Oh, who knows? But how how good is? the other side, we don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like you said, we don't really know. But for for a lot of we don't know minus three hundred, why? Because this guy swings hard? That's what it is. That's that's where a minus three hundred comes from in this case. You know what I'm saying? Because we we haven't seen much else out of them. You know what I mean? I'm not I don't know. I'm not seeing it, man. Not a minus three hundred.
0: I'm seeing it, man. I think he's going to get him out of there, man. I mean, I, I really am not impressed with uh, with Perez. I mean, he did get it done for us last time, but that was more of a fade-on stout. You know, that was... I, it It could have been anyone in there. It could have been Mehdi Baghdad, and I would have bet that. You know what I'm saying? You always bet against yeah. guys like that, but in this spot, like, now he's coming back. I just... It's just so many, so many red flags for me. I mean, am I underestimating him or something? Like, because, look, this is a guy... I feel like he, he's he, he's a go-to-a-split-decision-with-Chris-Wade go to, go to a split decision with Chris Wade kind of guy. That That's the level he's at, you know what I mean? So it's we just don't know if Diakis is on that level. But I'm willing to say that he is because of how he performed against Saevsky in that debut in that environment. Not that Saevsky is that great, but we saw how other people perform against him, and I thought that Diakis was right up there. I mean, he did better than Nick Hine did. And, uh, you know, Gilbert Dorino had to go through some shit until he low uh, Soyevsky and then armbar him, but uh, fucking Diak, he's got it out, got him out there clean.
1: Yeah, he's, I mean, a, you know, pretty another kind of goofy, slow Euro prospect, though. You know, what I mean, like I don't, I, I, we're measuring these guys against other people that we don't really, you don't really know. That's why I'm saying, like, to come at, to come at this matchup with a minus 300, why? You know what I mean? Yeah. Why minus 300? I don't... It's not enough to get there. So it's like, I I won't bet this fight. But, you know, don't be surprised. It's just... It goes down the road as 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 most Euro prospects go. You know what I'm saying? You don't remember how much hype Zayefsky had? You know what I mean? Like, that guy was supposed to be good, man.
0: Yeah, but no. the thing is, there's different skills with different people, man. Not... I mean I, I'm I'm looking at his fucking skill. I see I see the athleticism, I see the killer instinct, I see the knockouts, the takedown defense, the getting the get up game. Like I see those things. So that's a good fucking sign for me. You know you know what I'm saying? Like Oh, it's
1: definitely not a bad thing. You know what I'm saying? It's just it's not a minus three hundred thing. He's untested. For sure.
0: This is true. And speaking of untested, we got Shane Burgos. He's minus one eighty, Sean. And Tiago Trator is plus one forty, and dude, Thiago is like fucking twenty and five, and Shane Burgos is like what eight and zero or some shit, like uh, seven and zero. Like, why is why is Tiago the the underdog here? I'm actually very surprised by this line. Like, I watched Shane Burgos. I mean, he's solid, he's good, but Tiago's got twice the, I mean, more than twice the experience. He's got fucking more than thrice the experience, and UFC experience, too, man. I mean, Thiago Traitor is no slouch at all on the feet and on the ground. And I felt like that last fight with Clay Collard, that was a really good back-and-forth fight. Why, why is this line where it's at, Sean?
1: I'm not really sure. Maybe Traitor's gas tank, possibly. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's he's definitely sloppy. Uh, he's a wild swinger. I know that I wasn't touching this fight, so I didn't go into it in depth. I looked at two fights of Burgos's, and uh, the the Clay Collard fight and uh one other win for Trator to see if there was like some kind of big gap that I'm missing and there just wasn't, you know. Nothing to get me excited enough. Uh I wouldn't trust uh Traitor's gas tank in this case. But I don't I don't really know. I can't I can't make a pick. I would pick Traitor if I had to, you know, gun to my head.
0: I'm blown away by this line. Like, I, I cannot believe this right now. I might have to bet Tiago Trator on principle. Like, is Shane Burgos really, is it, was it really that big of a deal? Because a, a, am I underestimating him or something? Like, is he that fucking good? Because it just seemed like just, you know, run-of-the-mill solid fighter.
1: Yeah, not from what I saw. He's right down the middle of the road, nothing special at all. You know what I'm saying? And I could basically say the same exact thing against uh, about Tiago Trator. There's nothing on either side. Neither, neither guy is going anywhere, in my opinion. So, um, Dude, this, not a not a big enough gap. This might be a Bit good of a spot. Off too.
0: This might be a good spot Maybe. to take the shot. Um, I'm gonna have to look into it more. I'm just, you know, for everyone listening, we're literally recording, you know, as the lines were released. So this is the first time we see him, and I'm blown away that Tiago Trador is a plus 140 dog in this spot to Shane Burgos. So. We'll revisit this. Follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks, and I'll let you know what I decide to do. And uh, Sean, we got Gerald Mershart. He's minus two twenty-five. The comeback on Joe Gelati is plus one sixty-eight. It's good to see Gerald in the UFC, man. I mean, he's a vet. He's been around the game a long time. He fucking submitted Sam Alvey back in the day. Now he he got that little win streak together. He's training at Rufus Sport. He's got the champ T Wood with him. Mike Biggie Rhodes. I think he's at a good point in his career. He's big for the weight class. He's one of the, you know, he's your tough, grizzly, solid vet. And with Joe Gelati, he's small for the weight class. He wings bombs for the first minute. He tries to do his grappling. But he trains out of the worst gym in the sport, power MMA. You know we always fade power MMA. I think Gerald's going to make a, a splash in his UFC debut, and uh, I got him for the victory here.
1: Um, I'm taking Gerald as well. I, I took uh, Trevor Smith against Gelati. Um, that guy always looked bad to me, and and it was a fade power MMA type thing as, as well. Um, but again, I'm not I'm not touch I, I'm not having a good enough read on this one to touch it either. Who knows, debut? You know what I'm saying? Like who knows? Gelati is better than he showed in that Trevor Smith fight. I'm, I'm not touching it, but I'll I'll pick Mier
0: I mean, fuck the price, minus two twenty five. No thank you, but uh if he was the dog I'd play it. Now next up, Randy Brown is minus one seventy five. Brian Camosy is plus one thirty five. Sean we already know that Randy Brown it, it it was hype, dude. That that's the bottom line, you know. We at least for me, you know, we thought he might have been that guy. To me he's not that guy. To me, I already I mean we saw we saw what the deal is. I mean, is he does he got untapped potential or something? And also, is Brian Camosi better than his brother, Sean?
1: You know, I'm going through the Perez, the Janes fight, the Burgos, you know, uh, gelati, I'm like, no, 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 not seeing anything. Then I get to Kamozi and Brown. I'm like, oh, here comes another one. And then I'm like, hold on a second. Oh, I see something that I like here. I, You know what? Camozzi has better hands than his brother does. The boxing is, is pretty fucking good, and the kicks are pretty hard. The clinch is good. Like he's aggressive. Um, you know, he, he's gonna have. Uh, you know, Randy Brown, I believe, is still taller than him, but he's still a big motherfucker. I don't think that, that Randy Brown is is basically used to, you know, fighting guys on, on par with them, on par with him size wise. Um, we know now, that, you know, he could get better. But I'll say that we know now that Randy Brown has nothing striking-wise. He just can't put it together, right? He's kind of got an Al Sterling kind of thing going on striking-wise. It's just like, I'll do this thing that I'm supposed to do, but I don't really know how to do it. I'm just throwing them out there over and over again. They don't actually ever do any damage. Have we seen Randy Brown do any damage to anybody striking-wise? Just in, like, sloppy kind of – you know, bouncing off the cage, kind of shots that he landed on. Uh, uh, my buddy there, the tall white Canadian dude. I like that guy. I forget his name though. You know what I'm talking about? What's his name? Matt Dwyer. Matt Dwyer. Yeah, yeah. He he kind of wobbled Matt Dwyer a little bit, but not really, dude. So, um,
0: that was like the worst uh, UFC jitters I've ever seen in my life.
1: Yeah, but he never really overcame that, did he? Did he look like he was past that last time? Not really. I. I bet him there, and I got lucky as shit that he grabbed that guillotine. I'm not seeing it from him, uh, you know. But here's the problem with with Brian Camozzi: he must it must be in the water, it must be in the jeans or something like that. Chris Camo, or, you know, he's got the same thing that Chris Camozzi does. It's the takedown defense is is not great, and it's sometimes it's not quite the takedown defense. It's this guy wants to get his hands on you and push you up against the cage and stay engaged until he can wrestle you to the ground. So you want to hit him. You don't want that to happen to you. So when you finally turn the guy around and put his back on the cage, do you disengage and go back to striking? No, you're a commozi. So here's what you do as being a, as a commozi. you stay in the clinch and try to throw knees instead. And, and before you know it, three seconds later, your back's on the cage. Why, why don't you disengage? Why do you stay giving the guy a chance to beat you? You know what I'm saying? When your striking is better. Uh, in this case, I'm taking a shot here. I'm putting one unit on Brian Kamozi because his striking is far superior to Randy Brown's. Uh, could he pull a Kamozi and get pushed up against the cage and get taken down and, and not disengage when he should disengage fuck yeah but i'll go ahead and take a one unit shot at plus 135 I, li- I like him in this spot i don't like randy brown um the jab the punches the body kicks the leg kicks i like him i like him i think he's gonna put some damage on randy brown and and, and do things to him that change his mind no takedowns no wrestling
0: andrew sanchez is minus 190 and trevor smith is plus 150 i mean i only got one question who's the better grinder
1: yeah, it's Andrew Sanchez. I I expected a 160 or a 170. Uh, I got 130, I believe. I know. Right uh, I think that's what it was. Yeah, um, I like that number. So I grabbed him and put him in a parlay while we were while those lines were coming out. I think he's kind of like maybe down the road he'll kind of turn into. To Trevor Smith, you know what I mean. Like, but right now he's a better, more explosive, stronger, bigger, younger version. You know what I mean? Like he's—they want to do the same things, and it, and it's kind of youth versus experience here. And I don't think Trevor Smith can keep going in the direction that he's going and keep doing it. And and no problem getting rid of Giolati because the skills aren't there. And the grind isn't there. But in this case, I think he's going to have problems. And I think he's going to have the, the kind of problems where he, he gets his back put to the cage and he can't turn it back around and the, the, the fight just gets ground away by Sanchez. And I think Sanchez pulls out his decision.
0: They're both super chinny, man. I mean, it's not just Trevor Smith. It's, I mean, you saw fucking Kevin Casey knock Sanchez out, right?
1: Yeah. It's a problem. You know what I'm saying, but I don't. I don't see those kind of exchanges happening in this fight. I, I think they're always engaged with no room to with no room to punch the whole time.
0: Jean Valante. If, if we were in Brazil, it'd be a Jean Valanche He's minus one eighty, <laughs> and Saparbek Safarov is plus one fifty eight. So when I saw that Saparbek Safarov was fighting Jean Valante, I was like, "All right, dude, a Russian's fighting Valante. You know, we look to fit." Gian, so why don't we, you know, why don't we take this Russian and then I'll watch the tape and very underwhelming, Sean. I mean, he he doesn't fight like a Medov, you know what I'm saying?
1: No, he's very unmedov.
0: Yeah, and uh, this is actually a spot that Jean Volante can win, and and he should be the favorite. He's going to be the bigger guy, the more athletic guy, more experienced. You know, he always does dumb shit. He's punch drunk as fuck and leaves his chin up in the air, but. His experience should prevail in this spot. And I, I'm going to take him for the victory, but, I mean, would you be that surprised if the Russian caught him? I wouldn't, but I, I think Volante is going to get it done.
1: No, I, I agree with you. I was looking to fade Volante here, too. My knock on Volante has always been, when it comes down down to the time where he needs another gear to win the fight, he just never hits that other gear. And then I think uh the first time I ruled that idea out, he hit another gear in his very next fight and won it late, <laughs> so I was like, Oh, fuck, but uh this Metoff is not Metoff enough for me to be interested i don't I don't like this last second shit i'm I'm not into it, so I will pick Volante, but I would pass totally on a bet.
0: you know how you mentioned how he can't take that second gear yeah. That's exactly how I feel about Shamil Abdurrahimov, and we'll get to that in a second. But first up, Corey Anderson, beast in 25 8. He's minus 400. The comeback on Sean the Real O.C. O'Connell is plus 325. And I mean, when the fight was first announced, I was like, yeah, Corey Anderson, you know, he's gonna fucking 30 27 him, use the wrestling, grind him out. But then I watched the tape, and dude, I mean, fucking Corey Anderson gets rocked every single fight i mean not just the Mm -hmm. jean valente fight where he got knocked out the shogun fight the tom lawler fight he does the chicken dance a lot sean and against against the real oc i mean if he tries to test the stand-up which core corey tried to test the stand-up against shogun for a whole round and a half man i mean if he tries to test the stand-up here he could get knocked out i know sean he's got his own problems you know he is a bit chinny he does gas out so, to me, it's like, what's Corey's strategy here? Because, I mean, you remember that Jan Blankovich fight? Corey beat the fuck out of Jan Blankovich. He beat him way worse than Gustafsson did. I mean, he beat him to a point where Jan Blankovich was laying on the canvas five minutes after the fight was over. You know what I'm saying? Like, did, did you watch yeah. that Desmond Green fight the other day where it got kind of scary where he had a wear an oxy- oxygen mask after the fight was over? Yeah, I did. Dude, like, yeah. that was a very scary moment. That, to me... You know, because I was I was unsure of what was going to happen. Well, you know how a couple of weeks back uh, that Charlie Ward guy fought? When you did the film on him, yeah. did you watch his fight against Bruno Carvalho? Yes. Do you remember when Bruno got TKO'd and then he gave that look to the camera and then he went down? Like how, dis- yeah, yeah, how yeah. disturbing that but, was?
1: That's how people, that's what boxers look like before they die. Like, that kind of situation. That's what it looks like. It's never, this guy got punched and never woke up again. It's like, he acts weird for an hour, then goes unconscious, then doesn't wake up. You know what I mean? That's that's what that looks like. Yeah, that was a little worrisome.
0: Corey Anderson beat y- Jan Blankovich to a point where, I mean, it, it got scary, Sean, like, That's what he's capable of doing, but lately, you know, he's been working with Mark Henry. He thinks he's a striker now. You know what happens when these wrestlers think that they're strikers. They get too cocky, and they get knocked out. So, you know, coming off that fight with Shogun in Brazil where, you know, he's acting like he won the fight, which is bullshit because he got fucking dropped like every round, Uh, it's like... You think he learned his lesson and knows that he's gonna that he has to use his wrestling here, or do you think he's gonna go out there and try to test his stand up against Sean O'Connell and try to get a fight of the night? Because if that's his strategy, man, then Sean's got a good chance.
1: Yeah, that's the problem is it's Corey Anderson's willingness to test that, and and it keeps on going poorly for him. Um, you know. Honestly, my read on this fight is about the same as the Blackovich fight. He, I think he does grind him into the cage, take away all his cardio, pull him down to the ground, and, and ground and pound him. Um, the, the, you know, it's everything that you mentioned is true. Is the, the real problems are? Is this guy going to try to strike? And he is a little bit chinny. He always is hurt and everything. But you know what I'm saying. In, in most cases, he's recovered and won. So. Um, you know, I like Anderson here. I've got him in a small parlay with Sanchez that pays plus one oh three.
0: And Sean, here's what the real O. C. had to say about this matchup with Corey Anderson.
1: It's a tough matchup. I mean, he's obviously very, very skilled fighter, very athletic fighter. Uh he's pretty long for a guy in our weight class. Um so yeah, he's he's a very tough matchup, I think, for anybody. And I'm excited to showcase a little bit of my ground game and, and a little bit of my wrestling, whether it be defensive or offensive. Uh, well, I think it'll be a very tough fight. I think this is, uh, if if Corey shows up willing to let it happen, doesn't fight too careful, uh, there's potential for another fight of the night here. Uh, he's, he's won a bonus before for fight of the night, if I'm not mistaken. And obviously, I've got three in my six fights in the UFC, so... Hopefully, it'll be a little bit of a barn burner, and at the end of the day, uh, Corey will be asleep. Now, next
0: up, we got Francis Nganu. He's minus 525. The comeback on Anthony Hamilton is plus 415. And, Sean, I mean... I understand why Francis Ngannou is a big favorite, but I disagree with the price, and I'll tell you why. I mean, look, when when you look at the guy, I mean, remember when Czech Congo was first coming out in the UFC, and, you know, you look at how the dude looks, and, you know, he's knocking out fucking uh, Mustafa Al-Turk, and you're like, man, this is the next fucking heavyweight contender. I feel like Francis is in that stage right now where we still don't know if he's legit or not, and... We're going to find out with this fight because if you recall France's last fight against fucking Boyan Mihal Jovic or whatever, you know, even though Anthony Hamilton isn't, you know, a top 15 heavyweight, he's not a fucking total jobber like the last guy they brought in to lose. This is actually going to be legit here. You know what I'm saying? Because the last guy, I mean, that was as close to taking a dive as it gets. You know what I mean, Sean?
1: Yeah, I I totally agree with that. And. Here's the thing, like, it's ridiculous that we're calling Anthony Hamilton a legit guy, you know what I'm saying, but that's the heavyweight division. This is the truth of the thing. Um, Francis Ngannou, it's somebody I've been very high on since the beginning. Um, there's something about him, the cardio, the willingness, the the, uh, the the obvious power, not just in his strikes, but in the way he head pressures you and, and does all kinds of things. He's just obviously mean. Um, there's something in that blades fight that I saw that completely changed my mind. Um, and if you, you know, everybody can watch it. If you go back and watch it, it's in the first round, go back, watch it. You'll see it too. And uh, the thing that happened is a huge problem as far as the heavyweight division. And I'm sitting around and I'm waiting for the right time to go against him because in, until it happens to him he's going to be minus 600 over and over and over again. Cause he's so big and scary looking. Like it's kind of that D a Casey situation where, you know, this guy looks like a killer. So he must be a killer. Um, I think that we're going to find out otherwise, it's awfully risky to say that we're going to find out against Anthony Hamilton. Cause Anthony Hamilton, we could find out nothing at all in this fight. Cause Francis and could walk across the ring and hit him once and put him to sleep. And, and the legend grows, you know what I mean? That that's how this fight could go easily, but this is an actual step up against an experienced guy. You know what I'm saying? If there's cracks there, we're going to see them. you know what I'm saying? Is this the time that we see him? It's, it's tough to say, but the the price is outrageous. It, it honestly is. The price is, is crazy.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I was at Anthony Hamilton's last fight, UFC 201 in ATL, and, you know, it's funny. We were talking about how, you know, scary moments like the Jan Blankovich versus Corey Anderson fight and scary moments like Bruno Carvalho versus Charlie Ward. You know, another scary moment, Sean? Anthony Hamilton versus Damian Grabowski. I don't know if they showed it on TV, but I was there in person, and fucking Damian Grabowski was out cold for at least 10 minutes after that fight. Like, we all thought, like, yeah. bro, like, this might be the first, like, in the UFC. Like, we were scared. Like, it was like, at first it was like, yeah, you know, he knocked him the fuck out. Like, you know, it was badass. But, you know, after fucking five minutes go by and the guy's still unconscious, stiff, on the ground, like you're like, Oh my God! Like this is scary. So Hamilton just did that to someone. That's got to do something for his confidence, you know. In this spot, like you said, if there's cracks, they could be exposed in this spot. But also, like we were talking about the other day, Sean, we've seen Anthony Hamilton get laid out in like 20 seconds before. So don't be surprised if that happens either. But I want to address all the people that are saying the main event of this car should be Derek Lewis versus Francis Ngannou. I could not disagree more. Because they're at two totally separate.
1: Yeah, it's not time. It's not time for that. Th- yeah,
0: they're two se- totally separate parts of their careers, man. I mean, fucking Francis Ngannou, he's only fought like Boyan Mellichkovich and fucking you know Luis Henrique. Who, who you know, you know what I'm saying? Whereas Derek Lewis, he already fought the gatekeepers. He already went in there with Gabriel Gonzaga and knocked him out. He already went in there, you know, went three rounds with Roy Nelson and beat him. So Derek Lewis, he's, he's on to the contender stage, whereas Francis Ngannou is just a prospect right now. So I disagree with uh, you know people saying that should be the main event. And if that was the main event, I mean, wouldn't you bet the house on Derek in that spot?
1: Yeah, pretty much.
0: Exactly. So speaking of the main event, we got Derek the Black Beast Lewis. He's minus 190. And Shamil Abdurakimov is plus 165. And you know what? I'm actually going to bet on Derek in this spot, And I bet on him in his last fight against Roy Nelson. A lot of people thought he lost that fight. I disagree. It depends what you favor more. Do you favor almost knocking your opponent out multiple times? Or do you favor, you know, laying on top of someone and doing literally no damage? I know if I was, you know, in a fight and you ask me, would you rather be the guy that got laid on for, you know, about seven and a half minutes of the fight? Or would you rather be the guy that almost got knocked out on separate occasions. I'd rather be the guy that got laid on and almost knocked the guy out. You know what I'm saying? So to me, I I didn't think it was a big deal. He did what he had to do. And people talk about how Derek Lewis doesn't have that great of a ground game. And, I mean, it's not like the dude's getting full mounted and pounded out or anything. When he gets taken down, he finds his way back up. People put too much stock into bad takedown defense because, like I said earlier on the show, to me, you know, who cares if he gets taken down a lot? What matters is does he get back up or not? And Black Beast, he's gotten so much better at his get-up game. I mean, he had Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world champion Gabriel Gonzaga on his back, which is the worst-case scenario while they were both, you know, they were dry, they were, you know, full of energy, and fucking he got back up and knocked him out. So to me, he's patched up that area of his game. And with Shamil Abdurakhimov, you know, decent point striker, good jab, leg kick, you know, movement, whatever, these circles. But... The issue with him is, like you were talking about someone earlier on the card, Shamil Abdurakimov, he can't turn up to that second gear. That That's the big problem with him, man. Like, he can win these decisions, but I don't feel like you know, you know, he, he, he wins these decisions that he, you know, when he slows the fight down, but I don't feel like he can do that against a guy like Derek Lewis, who's known for turning up in the middle of a fight. I feel like Derek Lewis is going to go in there with his blitz. Derek Lewis fucking throws head kicks and shit, you know what I'm saying? He does some things fundamentally wrong, like he'll lead with a Rear uppercut, which you know, I don't like that, Sean. But in a spot like this, I don't feel like Shamil's the guy that's going to make him pay for it. I feel like this is the kind of fight where they're like, you know what? Let's build the next heavyweight contender. Derek Lewis, he's got a presence on social media. He knocks guys out. Who can we bring in to lose to him, you know, in the main event? How about this, you know, scary Russian looking dude, but you know, secretly he's the worst Russian on the roster? You know what I'm saying? And I think yeah. I think it's gonna play out like that. I, I think Derek's gonna go out there and take care of biz and you know emerge as the next rising star in the heavyweight division. So you know two units on a uh, on Derek Lewis and Max Holloway parlayed.
1: I don't really understand what Abduraimov does. You know what I'm saying? Like, is he a heavyweight pitter pack guy? Is that what?
0: That's exactly, that what, what is he is. A, That's
1: exactly what it is. That's he exactly a heavyweight what he is. volume guy. Yes. It's not a ton of volume with not a ton of power with no speed, with not great wrestling. I don't understand what the identity of Abdurahimov is. I don't understand why this is a main event. I don't, I mean, no, I do because you're right. It's like, let's build up Derek Lewis. I get it. But how much can you build up a guy off of Abdurahimov? That doesn't even fucking make any sense to me. Um,
0: it's I, just the main event I
1: don't,
0: Like, get him yeah, a nice knockout.
1: That's probably what's going to happen. I see no reason why Derek Lewis isn't going to eventually end up on top of Abdur Rahimov and drop those coffin nails on him. You know what I'm saying? We've seen that he's got pretty good cardio, so I don't think he's going to fade down the stretch. I'm not quite sure what Abdur does to him to win. I'm not really sure what Abdur has done to anybody to ever win. I don't. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? When I go watch him fight... I'm like, what do you do? I don't, you know, he really is a heavyweight pitter-pat guy, but the pitter-pat is not even sharp. So He's no Michael Bisbee. No, this is a kind of a a squash, but it it might be a boring squash. It's going to be underwhelming. It's going to be an anti-climax. I'm sure of that, because even if Derek Lewis gets on top and and destroys him and pounds him out, at the end of that, you're going to go, oh, well. Okay, well, you did knock this guy out, I guess that means something, but not really you know i don't I don't know, I don't like this fucking fight, but uh Derek Lewis, you're not betting it at minus one ninety? no, I am not i liked uh I liked everything else better. I don't know why I don't like Derek Lewis. I don't like him. He should win this fight, but there's I don't I don't like him. He's just another big guy who swings hard. I don't I don't see what he particularly does well either. He hits hard. I mean,
0: that's what he does well. Sean, <laughs> and he gets back up if he's on bottom hey. and he
1: wins fights. Yeah. You know, kind of. He um uh shit, Pesta, you know what I'm saying? Like that fight was in the bag, you know what I'm saying? Like Pesta was was all over him. You know what I mean? uh Matreon knocked him out with one forearm. Uh Sean Jordan like I don't know. I don't like him. I just there's better spots for for me in my opinion, but uh I'm not I'm not going to feel bad about it when he, when he knocks after him off out because because I didn't bet it. I just I I in my opinion I pick better spots, but we'll find out.
0: Well, I like the spot and that's why I took, you know, the two unit parlay with him and Max Holloway. I feel like this is, like I said earlier, man, I mean, they're bringing in Shamil to lose. Shamil doesn't turn up. He, he can't find that second gear. That's going to cost him in a fight like this. For Shamil to win this fight, I mean, Derek's basically got to not be Derek, and I feel like that's kind of impossible.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that bet should win. You know what I mean? That, that bet should win. I just, I don't know. I'm not impressed with Derek Lewis.
0: Well, I am, motherfucker. <laughs> so, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. We'll do it for both cards. So for 206, the fight to watch, Sean, what is it, man?
1: It's Max Holloway, Anthony Pettis. You know what I'm saying? Like Anthony, bring the torch because you're going to be passing it. You know what I'm saying? And it, Has there ever been a bad Max Holloway fight? There's been a couple bad Pettis fights, but not too many, honestly. This is going to be a fun one for sure. And, and it's going to be... Um, you know, hotly contested while it lasts, and I think the 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 further it goes, the better the Max looks, and and the more ex the more easy it's going to be to get excited about Aldo versus Max Holloway. It's going to be a fun one.
0: And my fight to watch is Misha Surkanov versus Nikita Kurilov. Look, a lot of people talk shit about the UFC light heavyweight division, saying there's no emerging prospects and contenders. Well, I disagree. And Nikita Kurilov and Misha Surkanov are going to show that. One of these guys is going to get that big victory, most likely in devastating fashion. And they're going to propel their career to that next step where, you know, they are fighting, you know, the Jimmy Manuels of the world. And uh, they can only go up from here. So that is my fight to watch for UFC 206. So we got to talk about the fighter to watch. Sean Carey, who is the fighter to watch?
1: The fighter to watch on 206 is going to be Misha Surkinov. Um It doesn't take much to be the hot shit prospect at 205, right? Because there really isn't any. There's really nothing going on. These might be the two guys fighting each other, and I think that one guy is vastly superior to the other guy. But I guess we'll find that out. Um, The idea of a 205-er who can take you down and crush your skull, that's pretty cool. That's pretty fun. That's something that is dangerous to every fighter in the division, uh, no matter who you are, because he can latch something onto you and and you're in deep shit. So I think you have to think about Serkinov differently if he comes out there takes down Nikita Krylov and, and steamrolls him and, and subs him out of there. Because in, in the context of the division, that's actually a pretty big deal. When you look at the UFC as a whole, the Serkinov tapping out and Nikita Krylov really registers like, wow, can't believe that happened. Or wow, that was a, a good win. No, not really. But at 205, it's a pretty big fucking deal. So, you know, Misha Misha Serkinov does that, takes him down, taps him out, and and basically he's right at the damn top already. My fighter
0: to watch is Duho Choi. I mean, this is the fight that's going to let us know if he's the real deal or not. I mean, he can obviously knock most people out, as we've seen, but Cub Swanson's not most people. Cub Swanson is a perennial top-five guy, and if Duho Choi can go out there with his accuracy, his straight punches, his precision, and his power... And knock out the vet Cub Swanson. That'll really let us know where he's at. So for that reason, Duho Choi is your fighter to watch. And uh, I can't wait to settle this uh, Krylov vs. Cirkinov debate next week. Well, Saturday night it'll be settled, but I can't wait to to talk about it next week. It's going to be nice. That's
1: and right. Sean, if Cirkinov wins, I'm not showing up. <laughs> uh, I mean, if if Krylov wins, I'm
0: staying home at that
1: day. So, I'll if, be here.
0: If uh. If Serkinov shows uh, you're hosting the show, I'm fucking going on vacation, bro. But uh, we gotta talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch for uh, for Albany. So, fight to watch. That's man.
1: fucking tough. <laughs> <laughs>
0: What's the fight you make to watch, me go dude?
1: first? Jesus Christ. Um. Ooh. I know, right? Yeah. This is. I mean. I'm not one of the people who's like, it's the fucking worst card ever, but I don't know. Is this the worst card? Like, it's the worst card in a while, man. It's not fucking good. Um, wow, fight to watch. Okay, what will be the most exciting fight? I will say it will be Nganu and Hamilton because I expect Hamilton to be competitive in one form or another, and I think uh, people have this idea about N- Nganu he's, he's already a fucking juggernaut, and, and you're going to see some unexpected shit in this fight, and that's going to be fun. And if I'm totally wrong and that doesn't happen, then you get to see Francis Ngannou <laughs> land a gigantic Christmas ham-sized <laughs> fist on Anthony Hamilton's head and knock him cold, which is also cool. So we'll go with that.
0: My fight to watch... Is Shane Burgos versus Tiago Trator? Look, I have a feeling that these two are going to stand and bang, either for three rounds or until one guy falls. So for that reason, you know, I want to watch a fight like that. You know, let's see, uh, let's see if this kid Shane Burgos is the real deal. I mean, minus one eighty in his UFC debut against Tiago Trator. For that reason alone, that is your fight to watch. Now, Sean, the fighter to watch for UFC Albany, who is it?
1: I'm a fighter to watch. It has to be Derek Lewis. Here's here's your setup, buddy. Here's your deal. We got an empty division with no young talent. You, almost no young talent. We got one real young, talented guy who's who has a hurt knee who never leaves the hospital and never fights. But uh, Derek Lewis, youngish side as far as this uh, division goes. Here's your five round main event on uh, you know free TV. And you are here to knock the shit out of some guy and look super impressive. So go ahead and look super impressive and knock the shit out of this guy. And if you look bad or you lose, then you're going all the way back down. So don't <laughs> let that happen. Here's your job. Go out there and look super good. So I, I think he probably will go out there and look super good. And, and people will be all over his dick. All
0: eyes on the Black Beast. And uh, Sean, my fighter to watch... Is Mark Diazkius? Look, man. Sean Carey tattoo said this guy is just another Euro prospect. He shouldn't be a minus three hundred favorite. So I want to find out. Is that the case? I, I mean, I want to know firsthand. Is, is this kid the real deal or not? I mean, he's taking on a Mark Henry student, you know, dude that trains with all the badasses that we mentioned earlier. So all eyes, at least for my, uh, for my money, will be on Mark Diaquis, So that's your fighter to watch for that card, Sean. We did it, man. I don't know how, but we did we it, did bro. It.
1: Jesus, I know. It, it, it was getting rough. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm glad we didn't end up talking about Keith Barish, for Christ's sake.
0: It's getting <laughs> tough
1: in Albany. Oh, man.
0: But, hey,
1: whatever. You know, what, you know what's going to happen during the Albany card? I'm going to sit on my couch and I'm going to watch it all and I'm going to be happy that I'm watching it. And then Saturday, I'm going to sit on my couch and I'm going to watch UFC 206 and I'm going to be super happy that I'm watching it. Oh, yeah. So, bad card too many fights watered down it's always the same for me i'm always sitting there happy watching it so i'm not going to complain too hard but uh you know keith Barish versus ryan james fuck you three separate girl fights fuck you you know no thanks joe gigliotti i'm the fucking ufc again fuck you but whatever i'll watch man would i pay for the albany card Yep, sure would. <laughs> Dude, you know, that, you that, that's know funny. Why? Because what else am I going to watch?
0: You know, that's actually yeah. a good question. I, I wonder what I would set the line on myself paying for the Albany card. I mean, technically, yeah. we're already paying for it, having a Fight Pass subscription, which is fucking amazing. But I want, what, what would you set the, the line on me paying for it? Because I feel like, okay, but would you charge it, you know, standard
1: UFC pay-per-view price? I mean, it, you know what the sad thing is? Like the fifty nine ninety nine. Any person, any person in their right mind shouldn't pay sixty bucks for this fight. But if this was the fight that was on set, if this was the card that was on Saturday and it was sixty bucks, I am buying it and I am watching it.
0: Yeah, just oh, that man.
1: simple. Just that simple.
0: Man, imagine if this was a pay per view.
1: <laughs> yeah, it'd be horrible. But I, I wouldn't even complain about it. I'd just watch it. I'd probably fall
0: asleep <laughs> yeah i hate Whatever. i hate complainers but dude that fucking 206 pay-per-view is is unbelievable man i love it man people were shitting on that card but you know to me I, I don't give a fuck about all this name value bullshit when you got fucking max holloway versus anthony pettis cowboy versus matt fucking duho Choi versus cub kelvin versus kennedy jordan goddamn mean, nikita Krilov, like are you had me at Krilov, bro
1: yeah lots of fights equals lots of watching for me I'm into it
0: indeed indeed well let's wrap this up bro kind of like we don't do with our women and uh, just let them know where to follow you anything else you want to talk about go ahead man
1: no that's it Sean Carey Tattoo on Twitter Sean Carey Tattoo on Instagram I haven't posted my new bets because I've been on the podcast but I will do that as soon as I am done and good luck if you tell
0: yes sir definitely planning on cash and i hope we both have winning nights you know you know despite you losing on that cirkinov play I, I i really hope you do have a winning night my man and uh and, and me as well you know all the fans all the supporters the listeners follow me on social media at best @bestfightpicks, BestFightPicks.com picks for the plays subscribe to half the battle on itunes soundcloud and youtube and stitcher keep up the retweets the likes the subscribes the reviews everything it's fucking amazing and until the next time Let's cash these bets.